Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I do believe it's down between the Dodgers and the Blue Jays, but it really wouldn't surprise me if it ends up being the Blue Jays just because the Dodgers' history of negotiations has been recently they don't love the long-term deals. Can you imagine if uh, they were to get Toronto, if Toronto were able to get them? And I, I think it would be absolutely, um, absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, and you'd have the whole country, Canada, behind you. So, yeah, it's going to be fun. I can't wait to see what happens. That was Jim Bowden on MLB Network Radio earlier today. Nobody seems to know what is going to happen with Shohei Otani. All we know is that the expectation is, according to J.P. Morosi, that the sweepstakes will come to a conclusion at some point over the weekend. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center. Um... We've got Bradford Bruns back in the studio. Bradford, just a heads up, it does not appear that we are on YouTube just yet. If we can get that fixed as soon as possible, that would be fantastic. You guys can watch us on YouTube. Eventually, youtube.com slash 101 ESPN STL. Alex, I can't think of the best comparison for Shohei Otani signing with the Blue Jays if that does indeed end up being the case. And there seems to be a lot of smoke this morning that that will be his destination. Nothing confirmed, but a lot of smoke around that. I was trying to think about it, and we kind of talked about, okay, what are the most prominent baseball teams, just baseball organizations? I think the Blue Jays would be like 12th, maybe 15th on that list nationally, and I mean, you think about in the NBA, guys that end up going to less popular destinations. Most of those are like the Nets, which is the second best team in the New York area. You don't really see guys going from their current team to a destination that is a smaller market organization very often. Maybe they'll re-sign, but they don't leave a big market to go to. And Toronto's not technically a small market, but a less desirable, quote-unquote, market. Can you think of a comparison for what this would be like in Major League Baseball or, frankly, any other sport? No, because I think it's probably the rarest case in all of professional sports because not only do you have a legendary player, a superstar Hall of Fame-esque type player that's available free agency, but he's deciding to go somewhere because he wants to kind of fly under the radar and that's rare when you have a player at that talent level I mean think of guys like Bryce Harper when they were at that talent level where do they want to go well they want to go to a market where everybody was talking about them hockey's the same way basketball football it's very rare to get a guy who wants to go to a team 
and really not be bothered. But that's Shohei Otani, and it's such a rare case. So if you're the Toronto Blue Jays, I mean, it's the perfect scenario for you because you've got a guy who wants to come play for you. Why? Because you're a competitive team, but also because it's a different market than where you were at. You know, as you heard in the cut there by Jim Bowden, you've got the entire market behind you. But let's be real. Toronto, there's one thing that dominates, and it's the Maple Leafs. And then you've got the Blue Jays and the Raptors there as well. But I don't know if Shohei is going to be seeing the same media frenzy he would be seeing. Still going to see a lot of it, but it's not the same if you go to the Dodgers, if you go to the Yankees, if you go to the Red Sox. This is this is the rarest of cases, and it's, it's why you really don't see much of this, if you even see any of this. Yeah, I've been trying to wrap my head around, like, who is the next closest guy that has done this in any sport? And I can't really think of one. Is it like, Johnny Goudreau going to Columbus? Somebody on the text line Probably. mentioned that, and that, that might be the closest comparison. Somebody else mentioned LeBron going back to Cleveland. And, like, sure, there's something about that, but he also is from Cleveland. Um, so if Shohei Otani was from Toronto – that would be one thing. This this isn't that. This is Shohei Otani deciding to leave Los Angeles to go to Toronto, which is the second biggest team in its own market. Like that's that's what's so baffling about this is it's it's not even because Toronto is a large market, right? But it's just outside of the United States, so we don't view it that way. But it would be like going to I'm trying to think of like a market that is known for – like it would be like going to the White Sox in Chicago or something like that. It's just – it's what not a, the same. What about Matthew Kachuk going to Florida? Maybe. But that was a trade, so like – Well, I, but he opted he to sign there. He yeah. chose to go but there. But Miami is a desirable market. I guess it's in different hockey, for hockey. It's not, sure. though, so like that but would it, be But imagine it. being like a 25-year-old yeah, yeah. single dude and saying, hey, where do you want to live for the next seven years of your life? Miami seems like a pretty nice place but to go. But if you're Shohei, I mean, it's Toronto, so maybe that's maybe not where you want to live. But it's the East Coast, so you're very close to places like New York where you get that flavor of it, but you also have the have the comfort and the security blanket of it's not the major market. Somebody else mentions Carlos Correa going to the Twins the first time around. That is a great comparison. Now, the difference, that was a one-year deal. He was basically trying to recoup some value and say, hey, I'm going to go play for this team that's willing to give me the most amount of money for a one-year setting. This would be a record-setting deal. It sounds like it's going to be close to $600 million if and when he signs, and he's getting that from Toronto. It's just it, it's a shocking development. If you had told me coming into the season, hey, where is Shohei Otani going to sign at the end of this year? I would have probably listed 10 different teams as being more likely than the Toronto Blue Jays. And again, all of this is operating under the assumption that that ends up being the case. He very well may sign with the Dodgers or the Angels or some surprise team that we haven't even discussed. We had no idea that uh, Albert Pujols was actually going to go to the Angels when he did. Sometimes it is a surprise when the announcement is officially made. I didn't have Eduardo Rodriguez going to the Diamondbacks on my bingo card, for example. Now, that is a much lower level of free agent than Shohei freaking Otani. But I'm glad that we're finally getting to the end of this. If it is the Blue Jays, what does this mean for Major League Baseball, guys? Because this is a seismic shift to what the Blue Jays could become. We've looked at them as one of the most exciting young teams in the sport over the last few years. This, to me, shifts them from being a cute story, a fun story, to... Okay, we got to take them seriously as World Series contenders over the next couple of years. 
And to me, it is very similar to what we saw from both the Rangers and the Padres in recent seasons. It would be like the Padres trading for Juan Soto, in my mind, of announcing themselves officially as we are all in for the next two years with uh, Bichette and Vlad Guerrero Jr. as a part of our lineup to go along with Shohei Otani. And you got your pitching staff, too. I mean, Kevin Gossman at the top of all of that. Now you're adding Shohei, who I know is not pitching there. But the copy just made there is why I would be hesitant to say, like, oh, we need to be serious about the Blue Jays because people were saying that about the Padres, and they were underwhelming compared to what a lot of people were hoping they were going to be which I would be a little skeptical Toronto's going to be that as well. I mean, Shohei absolutely makes that lineup so much more dangerous with him in the middle of it, and pitching-wise, when he's healthy, you know that's going to be there. But, I mean, Toronto's going to be entering the window of we need to start winning sooner rather than later because all of our younger players are going to start costing us more money. And you heard Jim Bode mention they're not a team that likes to extend themselves very far with big contracts for a lot of players. So do we win in two years before we've got to pay – Vlad Guerrero Jr. a ton of money and Bo Bichette a ton of money? Or do we falter for a couple of years because we've got this star power on our roster and we don't live up to expectations, and then next thing you know, we're turning into the Angels once again? Yeah, they, they'll be better than the Angels ever were because they have more pitching depth, more depth in the organization as a whole. But you're right, it is a seismic shift across baseball. And honestly, it's a weird flip in the AL East where when you think of the AL East, you think of three big markets in New York, Boston, and Toronto. And Toronto had never operated as a big market team. Well, now they are flipping their market on its head, operating like a big market team, while Boston continues to go down the path of starting to operate more as a mid-level market team, not willing to spend the big dollars, not willing to go out and sign big-time free agents. Now, maybe that changed this offseason. Maybe they go out and they target a Yamamoto, for example. But it is a seismic shift in not just Major League Baseball, but in that ALE specifically, because they will become World Series favorites for probably the next two years to come out of the American League, because on paper, they are a dominant team. They have a 1-2-3 punch in the middle of that order with Guerrero, Otani, and a good and rotation. That's the other thing that I think goes under the exactly. radar with the Blue Jays, is they've got really good pitching, man. We talk a lot about their lineup. Their lineup didn't perform up to expectations last year. Just flat out did not live up to the standard that they were supposed to set. The rotation, however, did. The rotation was pretty damn good up in Toronto, and until the manager started making baffling decisions in the playoffs. Stupid analytics ruining the playoffs. To have everything in place to potentially go on a legitimate run last year. Yeah, they they were a really good team last year, and that's before you even just add in the bat of Otani, which feels like overkill, honestly. But he is going to be a great player that's going to replace Chapman and be better than what Matt Chapman was. Hell so yeah, it's an incredible. Kind of, and I, I think the other thing too that we shouldn't overlook if he does choose the Blue Jays because is I that think, they might trade Jose Barrios to the Cardinals. No, but that would be big. Calm but down over there. No, I I think it is the investment from what the Blue Jays did outside of just the players' perspective from a fan base view is the hundred million dollars they threw into their spring training facility yep. to make sure that they have all the upgrades there for pitch data. Uh, the rap soda machines, all of that, because that sounds like one of the biggest reasons that's the selling point for Shohei Otani. And we've talked about it. For the Cardinals to go after some of these free agents going into the offseason, and Sonny Gray, we've talked about this, he's a guy that may want to look at the numbers. If it's a, uh, you know, Giolito who wants to look at numbers, whoever that pitcher is in the future for the St. Louis Cardinals may want to look at the pitching numbers in the rap soda machines or a hitter that wants to look at the driveline data that they have at a spring training facility. Otani, the biggest free agent in the world, 
maybe choosing the Toronto Blue Jays, not just because they're in this winning window, but because they have one of the best complexes in all of Major League Baseball. And I think that's a huge deal. It is. Somebody else on the text line, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line, asks another question as a follow-up to that, T-Bone. Why would he choose the Blue Jays? If I was just to throw out a hypothesis on why I think it is part of what T-Bone's saying there that's the baseball side of things the other baseball side of things is they're good like they're a good team that has a lot of young talent and they have shown a willingness to continue investing in that talent so you want to go to a place that is going to win the other reason why is because I think when you look at what Toronto is as a city it is maybe the best market that you could go to as Shohei Otani where you're in a big market that is international in scope that also is not going to be under the microscope at all times. Like, if you go to the Yankees, under the microscope. Do you go to the Red Sox, under the microscope. The Dodgers, microscope, maybe to a lesser degree than those other teams that I just mentioned. Same thing for the Phillies. Um, any of these, the Cubs, under a microscope in your own city. The, Toronto is different. Toronto, the way that they treat their baseball team is different than the way that they treat their hockey team, right? Their Maple Leafs are the Yankees in New York. Their Maple Leafs are the Red Sox in Boston. It is the biggest story at all times. So if Even you're, in the offseason, people are talking about the Maple Leafs. 100%. Just like here in St. Louis, the biggest story at all times. Every day, you could lead with the Cardinals, and you would do really well on sports radio if you did it that way. You could have an entire station that is dedicated to the Cardinals and talk about nothing else, and your station would be successful here in St. Louis. That is not the case in Toronto. In Toronto, the equivalent would be talking about the Maple Leafs. So I do wonder, especially after we've seen the way that he has operated with his free agency, he likes his privacy, man. And if you want to go play in a big market that is international in scope, that does have some Japanese influence, the one place that you can probably do that in Major League Baseball is one with the Angels and the other with the Blue Jays. If you want all of what I just discussed and you wants to win, the best place for that might end up being the Blue Jays. So I never put two and two together about that prior to us really having a discussion about whether or not this is where he's going to end up. It does make a lot of sense when you really break it down that way. And for T-Bone, what he said as well, it, it's a good organization. It's a well-run organization, and they have been heavily investing into the baseball team in recent years. So you add all of that together, sure sounds like they are a leading contender to acquire Shohei Otani by the end of the day today. Shohei the money. Toronto's what do you think Bradford's going to do for the update whenever it is uh, announced that Shohei is going to be uh, got to be something with, with either two Blue S's Jays. or two O's? No pressure, Bradford. Because Bradford, I, we talked about you yesterday, my man. You love your alliteration, and I love that about you. You took great. the words right out of my mouth, gentlemen. See? What do you? What do you? Are you? Do you, do you yeah. Have you been workshopping this, Bradford? Do you have anything? Hold on, that's... hold on. Before you say it, let me say this. Okay. Is it? Is it? And, and be honest with me here, Bradford. Is it Shohei stuns baseball? No. Seems a little lightweight for my tastes. Yeah, yeah I'm with that. Okay. Yeah. Touche. Touche. Yeah. I wasn't good at literature or English. <laughs> it's all still, right. Still aren't. Otani overcomes obstacles. Oh, I like that one more dramatic. <laughs> Wait, what obstacle? Just shut up, man. It's alliteration. <laughs> do you have anything workshopped so far, Bradford, or are you still working on this? Oh, I do, as a matter of fact. But I have to keep you in suspense. Come on now. All right. Uh, all right. All right. Okay. Hopefully that breaks at some point prior to 1.30 today so we can hear it coming up in the Sports Center updates. That voice you just heard is Bradford Bruns. He's back in the studio for us today as we are all out at the Sin Team Community Ice Center broadcasting from the E. B. Granite Studios. It is 
Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in the 12 o'clock hour, we'll talk to the beat writer for the Tampa Bay Rays. He's going to tell us how the Cardinals can acquire Tyler Glass now. That's coming up at 1230. We will also talk to the Mariners beat writer about how the Cardinals can acquire Alex's favorite pitcher, Logan Gilbert. We'll get into that coming up at 115. But coming up next, we got to get to the Blues. The Blues are back in action tonight. They are taking on a bad team. Alex, so far, they've taken care of most of the bad opponents on their schedule. They need to keep that up. We'll tell you how next here on 101 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. To bludgeon the Blackhawks and the Blue Jackets this weekend. Oh, man, you steal my stuff. Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. You've got BK and Ferrario broadcasting live from the EB Granite Studios out at the Centene Community Ice Center. We've got Bradford Bruns back in the studio for us today. Alex, these are the kinds of games that the Blues have done really well in so far this year. They are seven and two against opponents that have come into the uh, or have come into today. At or below 500. In those games, they're averaging more than a half a goal better than what they have done against the better teams on their schedule. That makes sense. Intellectually, you just think about it, and you're like, okay, yeah, so they're better against the bad teams than they are against the good teams. All right, checks out. It's good I, news if you're the Blues. The math is mathing for yes. me there with that. How do they continue that trend this weekend? How do they make sure not to let up against these teams that are, let's be honest, scuffling well, first, in a significant way. Well, first of all, you can't come into this game with the same mindset you had against the San Jose Sharks because we all know what happened in that game. Uh, the mindset is going to have to be, and it's a good thing that the Blues lost to Vegas because if they would have beat Vegas the other night, I'd be very worried about this game tonight because this is those prototypical trap games where you're fat and happy after a couple of wins against a really good opponent and you take on a really bad opponent. I, I mean, Aaron Portsline, who covers the Blue Jackets for the Athletic, he's going to be with me tonight on pregame. But he's talked about how it's gotten so bad in Columbus that even fans aren't wanting to watch the team right now. And this is talking about a team that just drafted the second overall player in Adam Fantilli that should have a ton of excitement. They've got an awesome roster. It has not worked out for them. So you've got to bring it to them the way you brought it to the Vegas Golden Knights in the first period because Columbus does give you fits. Chicago has given you fits in the past, even though you beat them most recently. It's going to have to be the Blues focusing on the heavy play. It's going to have to be forcing this team to make the mistakes that you continue to mistake. And really, it's going to also have to be figuring out this second period blunder that you suffer from. 
yeah, I, they're going to have to play this like it is the Vegas Golden Knights because I feel like at times, and I feel like this has been a trend for a couple of years for the Blues, where they sometimes play down to their competition. And, and that can't be a thing against the Columbus Blue Jackets and the Chicago Blackhawks because, as we've talked about, I think, all week, is at some point you're going to have to go on a winning streak this year if you're the St. Louis Blues, and there's no better time to start that than these two games this weekend against the Columbus Blue Jackets tonight and then against the Chicago Blackhawks, two teams that are very much underperforming, are not very good hockey teams, take care of business, then find a way to win after that. But you're right, it is just sticking to their game, playing a heavy style of hockey, sticking to their scheme defensively too. They cannot start to play pond hockey because they look at it and go, oh, this is the 30th and 31st teams in the NHL. Stick to your scheme and take care of business and play it like it is the Vegas Golden this Knights. This team still is an upper half team in terms of offense. They've scored 80 goals this season, which yeah, is they just don't. They, don't they suck defensively, the the and their goaltending has not been good. So just don't make their goaltender look like an all-star, which means you got to put bodies in front. This, is a, this, this should be a game Jake Neighbors comes away with a hat trick in. Because they don't, their top defenseman is out, Warinsky and Severson. So their size isn't there on the blue line. Their goaltending has struggled. This is a team you should be able to park your body in front of him and take his eyes away. So this well, is his game. That's why they're getting a Kuvrana back in the game. Makes sense you're putting him back into the game like this because, well, goaltending hasn't been that pretty. Doesn't make sense you're putting him on the fourth line to play, but. No other spots to play him, right? So the update on that front, by the way, is that Yakub Rana will be in this one. They're taking Alexandrov out, Alex? Is that the the court? No, uh, they're taking – who was it that came out? They're is it Blay? Yeah, they're taking Blay out. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because huh. that fourth line was Toropchenko, Alexandrov, and Verana. Thoughts? I mean, this, this isn't the first time Sammy Blay's been a healthy scratch this season. And when they healthy scratched him last time, it was because Barubi thought that he wasn't providing the team with what he typically does, which is puck possession in the offensive zone. I don't – here's my tinfoil for you. It's not going to end with Veron on the fourth line tonight. By the end of the evening, I would imagine Casperi Kapanen or Oscar Sundquist is playing on that fourth line, and Verona is shifted up to play with Shen and Cairo, or is shifted up to play with different theory Hayes on in what the third happens. line. I have a theory that Verona just won't play in the third period. Well, that's not going to happen no matter forwards. what. That's not going to happen no matter what. You're not if you're up, you're not putting Verona on the ice in the yeah, third period. They, he's not playing, so it, uh, sure. They, well, your you're, fourth line's probably not playing if you're up in the third period. <laughs> Alexandrov and Torovchenko won't be out there unless you're on the penalty kill. Like this team right now is a team that shifts. This goes back to that shutdown line we talked about yesterday. This is a team that in the third period, up or down by a goal, they they. They shorten the bench to three lines, or they really shorten the bench to seven players. Here's a question for you. You score a goal in this game. What line are you putting out there? Following the goal? Mm-hmm. That is Prob- part of why I don't yeah. like Verona being in the lineup. It probably <laughs> Sunquist, Sod, and Kapanen, but I don't know if I like that line either to be my response line. That's that's the th- like whether you score a goal or the opposition scores a goal. I I don't love your option of who's going to go out there after that goal is scored. Frankly, I didn't like the option when Blay was there. Agreed, either. but it's a hell of a lot yeah. better than Yakub Verona being uh, put on the ice. I in that think c- the hard scenario. part right now, this all goes back to not having a winger because Kevin Hayes should be your third line center. Kevin Hayes should be your third line center to where Sunquist could be on that. Fourth fourth line and a haze with Assad and Kapanen going out there following a goal I feel good about Sunquist with Toropchenko and Blay I feel good about but you don't have anybody who brings that line up with Kairou and Shen how do you they, they need to acquire a middle six forward they do they, or they need to hope Snuggerud becomes this guy by the end of the season I mean you're not going to get him until the end of the year but that's he and Dvorsky are who you're hoping take that spot do you think this is Yakub Verona's last chance yeah I think 
I think you're going to play him for a, for a short stretch here, and if it doesn't look good, you're putting him on the fourth line for a reason because Craig Berube wants him to do other things than offense, and you're saying go out there and show me you could do it on this line. So this is what I find fascinating about this, putting him on the fourth line, because I, that was the question that I was thinking in my head is, is this his last chance? And I'm not trying to defend Verona here, and I'm not trying to go after Craig Berube as a coach, but – Aren't you setting him up for failure? Yes. Like, you know yep. you know he's not going to play defense. This it, is where I would put Hayes as the third-line center, to your point, Alex. Move Sonny down and have Verana as one of the wingers in the middle six. Verana's in there because he's going to be on the first power play unit, too. They're, you're putting him back in the lineup. You're going to see Easy. very – yeah, you're going to see very minimum ice time at five-on-five five with Verana and a lot of power play time on that number one unit. Just go 11-7. and seven. Like – well, that's the, I mean, we're talking about Verona right now. The part that surprises me the most is Tyler Tucker stepping in for Marco Scandella. Marco Scandella has been arguably one of your better defenders this season, penalty kill-wise, which I know your penalty kill didn't look great against Vegas, but Marco Scandella brings some skill to that left side. Is I that like just load management, do you think? Probably. Where they're just trying to make sure that Scandella stays healthy. And, and you want reps for Tyler Tucker. Yeah. But i got to be honest with you guys, and I know I'm in the minority, one of Letty or Krug could sit. I mean, Marco Scandella could play with Pareko or Falk. Scott Perunovic could play with Pareko or Falk. Those guys have shown the ability to. Frankly, there have been liabilities in these last couple of games with one or both of those players. And uh, there have been times this season that they have looked really good. But right now, Marco Scandella is not the guy I'm looking at saying probably deserves a healthy scratch. It would be two other players before I'd go to him. If the Blues are going to try to acquire a middle six forward and a top-pairing defenseman, one of the places that they could go to do so is Calgary. Uh, according to Pierre Lebrun, though, it does not appear that that is going to happen anytime soon, which honestly might be a good thing for the Blues. They could probably uh, handle waiting a little while to figure out what exactly they have on this roster before making a move like that. Uh, according to Pierre Lebrun of The Athletic, Craig Conroy wants to see how his team plays for a little while, and it makes sense for him to let the market build for guys like Tanev and um, Noah Hannafin, who are pending UFAs. He also wants to see what the market ends up becoming for Elias Lindholm. So don't expect anything in the immediate future when it comes to the Calgary Flames, despite their slow start to the season. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. We'll get to Ask Us Anything. If you guys have any questions, sports or otherwise, we will get to those in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, would you rather see Mizzou beat Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl or Kansas this weekend at Allen Fieldhouse? I am baffled by some of the responses that I've seen to this question. We'll get to our answer to it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. That was a fantastic update from our guy Bradford Bruns. He's back in the studio as we are at the Team Community Ice Center broadcasting from the E&B Granite Studios. Alex, I have seen a lot of fans discuss this question online over the last 24 hours or so. And frankly, I don't understand how anybody could select one side of this over the other. So, my buddy out in Kansas City asked a question because this is a huge game in KC. Mizzou versus Kansas. He said, would you rather see, as a Mizzou fan, Missouri go into Lawrence and beat Kansas this weekend in basketball or go to the Cotton Bowl and beat Ohio State? That's a question? 
I said, and I don't think it is a close call at all, you obviously take beating Kansas and Lawrence this weekend. And it's not a close decision for me. Like, I didn't even give it a second of thought of like, ooh, I don't know, that's tough. You got to go one way. No, this is a clear and resounding, you beat Kansas and Lawrence and you never look back. Like, if somebody told me, here's here's two pills, one of them you get to beat Kansas, the other you get to beat Ohio State, which one do you prefer? I'm taking the Kansas pill every single time. You should probably ask first. Do you guys disagree <laughs> with that? Do you guys have a differing no. thought? Bradford, if you have a differing thought, I'd what, love to hear from you as well. But, like, what's, what, what am I missing here? What's the what's the the bragging rights of winning against Ohio State without their quarterback and two best players? So I, Because it, I won a Cotton Bowl game? I don't think that's as big of a bragging right as beating Kansas – in Kansas, when your team, a lot of people are questioning if they're any good. T-Bone, do you have a differing thought on this? No, and the biggest thing for me is it's a scrimmage is what the game is against Ohio State. And, look, it's exciting because it's a big name brand program, the Ohio, the Ohio State Buckeyes. And, but they're missing their, t- their quarterback who just transferred. They're missing their two best wide Even receivers. Even if they weren't. Like, set all of Even that aside then. for a second. I don't care who Still plays for Ohio State. Marvin Harrison Jr., could play for Ohio State, my answer is the same. They could get Eddie George back into the lineup this weekend. That the answer would be fun. is the same. Nick and Joey Bosa could both line up at defensive end for them. Also my fun. answer remains the same. Even if they had Troy Smith at quarterback this weekend, my answer remains the same. This feels like the question of would you James rather... James Laurinaitis could line up at middle linebacker, no, and I'd be like, no, that. I don't care. This feels like the, the, the question that was posed in the past of would you rather win the World Series or see Pujols hit, what was it, 700 home yeah. runs? Pretty sure which one we're all going to jump on board with here. 700. Yeah, 700. Yeah, sure. Personally, guys, personally, I do feel as if this debate is a lot closer maybe than what we're really? getting into okay, on the us, surface. But, BK, essentially what you're saying is that the fact that you're going up against the blue blood, that should be in and enough of itself, right? In terms of beating Ohio, like playing Ohio State? Yes, just going head-to-head, uh, as in see, what we see in the box score a couple of years from now, that's not going to matter as much as the fact that you went head-to-head versus Ohio State in the Cotton no. Bowl. Yeah. No, it, you no, got to no, the Cotton Bowl. That's that's the success we all wanted and move on. The season, whether or not it is a success, change, does not hinge on the bowl game. It doesn't. Like, it will change nothing about how I felt about this team. You can't take away even – they could get beat by 50 in this bowl game. It doesn't take away what you did against K-State, finishing that game with Harrison Mevis and kicking the, the field goal and winning that one. Sure. It doesn't change the fact that you were right there against both LSU and Georgia. And if one of those games changes, we're talking about Mizzou and potentially the college football playoff conversation. It does not change the fact that you were able to have all of these different things that went your way and you won 10 games in the regular season for just, I believe, the third time in the last 20 years. None of that changes. None of that goes away or is diminished in any way by you losing a bowl game. Meanwhile, if you go into Kansas this weekend and the basketball team wins, that is a milestone moment for Dennis Gates in this program's history. Mm -hmm. That will go down as one of the single best regular season wins by Mizzou basketball in the last decade. So which one do I care more about? It's beating the hated rival in Lawrence and going out there and winning a game that will signal, okay, maybe this team is better than we all expected them to be. And even if they aren't, 
even if they don't go on to do anything meaningful this season in basketball, I get that moment. I get bragging rights over the hated rival for the rest of the season when they're trying to win the national championship and you beat them in their place. Do you know how hard it is to win in Allen Fieldhouse, dude? It's nearly impossible because you're not just going up against their team, you're going up against their fans, and you're going up against the refs because you know there's going to be five to ten calls that go against you because of where you're playing this weekend. Right, so that seemed biased with yeah, your opinion. Come on, man. Oh, the dude, officials are there for one reason and one reason only, to have a good Fair game. Even game. Okay, yeah. yeah. Let's go watch Calm some. down. You want to talk about bad refs? Let's go back to the game against Vegas. They were one-sided <laughs> in that one. I just, I, I, I am genuinely surprised by the number of people that are taking the college, or t- taking the bowl game on this one. Um, I, I had somebody in my mentions on Twitter when I said that I would take KU and, or take beating KU and Lawrence over uh, the Cotton Bowl. And somebody said, having a team finish in the top five with a win over Ohio State is way more important than a regular season meaningless game and a non-con game against Kansas. Yeah, idiot. Another one says, a win versus KU really changes nothing about the basketball team, and a loss really doesn't hurt you. However, a win versus Ohio State is probably the best football season in for Mizzou in your lifetime. You take the bowl win every time. First of all, that is not the case. This, even with a win against Ohio State, will not be the best football season that I've seen in my lifetime. In fact, it will still not probably be a top two football season in my lifetime. 07 and 13 will remain above this because those teams got to their conference championship games and were in the national, uh, either national championship in 07 or college football playoff in 13 conversation up until those championship games were actually played. This team was not, it is not. And therefore it is not up on the level of those two seasons. So it, I, I don't view it that way at all. I'll, I'll take the win against Kansas and, all day, every day. And I just disagree wholeheartedly with the notion that this game means nothing in the basketball sense. Because not only can it be a pillar for Dennis Gates to continue to build upon a win on the road at number two, Kansas, but guys, let's just be honest. If this Mizzou team is a fringe tournament team, and like I think they're going to get That's in. A really good point. If they are a fringe tournament team, the resume will matter. Yep. And a win at number two, Kansas, is a huge huge step above potentially any other win that you have in non-conference play. Like, that could be a win that if they are a borderline tournament team is the win that gets them into the NCAA tournament. And though they may be one and done in the NCAA tournament in that case and be one of the last four in, that's still a good positive step for Dennis Gates rather than saying, yeah, in year one he made the NCAA tournament and year two he didn't even get there. There are two different conversations to be had then. Tanner, I think you make a great point. The one qualifier here as well, though, if you don't essentially follow up what could be a monumental triumph there, we know that entering this season, this team, KU under self at Allen Fieldhouse, 305-17. and But if you don't follow up a potential win there with the same thing in the bragging rights game officially versus Illinois, I'm not sure if it catapults you in the same fashion as you would hope going forward. But neither does winning the bowl game. This is the thing that I don't understand. (laughs) So many people are talking about how it impacts recruiting. No, it doesn't. It does nothing for your recruiting. The win for recruiting was being 10 wins in the regular season. That's what mattered. Your recruiting class is going to be finalized before that game is played, man. Kids are already signing their NLIs within the next couple of weeks. Your 2024 recruiting class is essentially finished. 
by the time that that game is even played in the Cotton Bowl. Your transfer portal class is mostly going to be complete by the time you get to that game. How do I know that? Because kids from Ohio State are already transferring before that game is being played. Guys, I've got a newsflash for people. Kids enter the portal with a pretty good idea of where they're going. Toriano Pride. Are you kidding me? Enter the portal with a tag that said no contact. Do you know what that means? It means every coach in college football was told, do not even contact me. I know where I'm going. Oh, I thought that where did he, he wa- end up? I thought he wanted to go to a team where there was no contact, like where you don't <laughs> touch each other. Oh, two hand touch football. Yeah, oh. where it's flag football. He came yeah. to Mizzou without talking to any other teams that's, in college football. That sounds like tamper. It yeah. was, and Sketchy. you know what? Every team is doing it. And uh, if your team isn't T Bone, uh, they're not doing it right. Illinois, Illinois plays yeah. by the rules. We play so, by the rules. That's why we're not making a bowl game and can't keep anybody in Illinois on their team. The 2024 class is all but done. In the 2025 class, man. It is not going to be made or broken by whether or not you beat Ohio State. I'm sorry, but these games just don't matter that much. Now, if Mizzou was in the college football playoff, and we were talking about Mizzou versus Michigan or Mizzou versus Kansas on the basketball court, totally different discussion. Give me the college football playoff win. But Mizzou playing in the bleeping Cotton Bowl? I love that they got the Cotton Bowl. I think it's fun that they're going to play against Ohio State. That's the end of the importance yeah. of this game. BK's not even that. watching the game. Okay, let's relax oh, there. Me neither, I will man. certainly be talking that. about uh, that game leading up to it, but man, oh. Mizzou versus Kansas, let's not diminish the importance of this game. Yeah, but they don't really have the a shot at The border war? Them. Get out of here. They man. don't have a shot at them, though. Like yeah. At least Mizzou's got a shot against Ohio State. True. So which one's more important there? You're not wrong. I mean, but. <laughs> like you go into Mizzou, it's like, cool, thanks for having us, guys. We'll just take the L and walk out. Yeah. Where, like, you go to Texas, you're walking out with a Buckeye win. T-Bone. Whatever that trophy might be. Before yeah. we get out of here, it, I cotton? did. No. Toilet paper? I did want to ask Basically. you, what do you think we're going to learn about Illinois tomorrow against Tennessee? Because that's another big game. I, I The Mizzou versus Kansas game, I, I fully anticipate Mizzou losing by 15. I think it's a really big deal that Dickinson's expected to be out. He's suspended for the next few games due to a flagrant foul that he had. That's huge for Mizzou. He's one of the best players in the country. But I, I still think that it's going to be – I mean, a tall task to even make this thing close in the second half. The Illinois versus Tennessee game is expected to be remarkably close, and this is a big-time opponent for them, a potential resume-building win. What are you anticipating against the Vols? Yeah, two things that I'll have my eye on in this one is, does the defense bounce back? Because the defense has been really good, and they're going to have to win with their defense this year. And they gave up 89 points to FAU. Now, FAU is a great offensive team. But I don't think they're going to be able to win a lot of shootouts this season because I'm just not sure if the offense is there for the Illini. But speaking of the offense, can Domask be the guy that ends up being able to get to that level of being that second scorer for the Illini? Because right now they've got Terrence Shannon, and then who? Like, I I just don't know. Like, it's not Hawkins. He's not going to be the guy. It's not Danger (laughs) coming off the bench. I I think there are two guys that can determine the ceiling for this Illini team. And I kind of thought this going – I thought it was going to be – Hawkins and Goody going into the year, and it's no longer Hawkins. It's Goody coming off the bench because he's a good three-point shooter, and then it's Domask because, as you just saw, he had 33 points in the win against FAU. He's the guy that if he can take his scoring to the next level and be that number two guy next to Taron Shannon, and he does it in a different way, Shannon more of a slasher, Domask can get into the paint a little bit, but he's more of a pull-up jump shooter. Then I think though, I think if he can get to that second scorer type level where you've got a one-two punch, that's going to keep the Illini where they can beat Tennessee and they can beat just about anybody. I was duped by a fake account. Hunter Dickinson is playing in this game against Missouri, which sucks. That guy's really good. Ah, uh, <laughs> loss, loss. Damn, I, I, I'm so mad at myself. I 
did not Duped realize by the fake account. That was fake. That's on me. Bad job by me. I tried to vet these things, and I did not do that at You're all. You're supposed to be the Damn expert. it, man. I totally fell for that one hook, line, BK, and sinker. BK was so ready to put like 100 bucks on the money line oh, for Mizzou to win. Absolutely. Because not. he's like, Dickinson's not playing. Dickinson's not playing. Man, that, that would have been really big for Mizzou. It would have been a very nice thing for them to not play against one of the 10 best players in the country. Alas, here we are. Coming up next, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You have any questions, sports or otherwise, get them in now, and we'll get to him next on ask us anything with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving we do just that Learn more at marines.com. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe it's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. You guys get your questions in now on the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. All right, from the 314, Alex, what do you think Marcus Stroman's value would be, and would you have any interest in him for the Cardinals? I wouldn't have any interest in it because I don't think he's the better pitcher above Sonny Gray, and that's what you're still searching for. I have no idea what his market's going to be. I would imagine... What do you guys think? Like two by two by 40, two by 50, something like that. Three by 60. I don't think he's getting anything more than a three-year deal. Especially Eduardo Rodriguez's deal. I think yeah. that's what he's going to get. You think so? Something similar yeah. to that. Um, I just don't know if you give him $20 million a year. I would not. His and second half. He He's historically had a bad second half. He's a guy that wears down as the season goes. Yeah. I'm with you, though. I don't think I would bring him in. Just I think he's a good pitcher, but you're – He's a good pitcher if you're looking for a number two. The Cardinals are still searching for a number one starter, um, so I would not. I, I think he probably will get the. He'll probably get a little less than Eduardo Rodriguez, but yeah, he'll be in that ilk of range. I would say. Yeah, that's that's where I would probably pay Cam, and I do not have interest in him for the Cardinals. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything, guys. Would you trade Nolan Arenado and or Paul Goldschmidt to get a number one starter and a top notch reliever? I would not trade Paul Goldschmidt. Um, I would not trade Nolan Arenado. I would just try to do it in a different way, like. We're going to talk to Mark Topkin coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. He covers the Tampa Bay Rays for the Tampa Bay Times. I think he's one of the best insiders in the country when it comes to Major League Baseball. I want to hear what he has to say about Tyler Glass now. What are they looking for? What would they want in return for him? That's the guy that I would be targeting. Like, I think we've made this a little bit too hard on ourselves. He has a $25 million contract for one year. I'm fine with that. The guys that are getting 20 to $25 million on the open market, I don't think are as good as Tyler Glass now right now. And instead of having to do it over a four or five year period, like we're talking about with Rodriguez or with Stroman, it's one year. So the risk is limited there. I don't think you're going to have to spend a ton to get him because rentals just don't cost that much via the trade market right now. So 
I would just go make that move. Yes, it's a lot of money. Yes, it probably limits you and what you're able to do for the bullpen, and that's fine to me. Like, go trade for your bullpen pieces. That's personally my preference. Uh, I would not trade Nolan Arenado because I don't think you have to trade Nolan Arenado. You said I wouldn't trade Goldschmidt first. If you had to trade one of them, would you trade Arenado over Goldschmidt? Because I think I would trade Goldschmidt over Arenado. I just think you have more natural answers for what you need at third base. Like, if you traded Arenado, you move Gorman to third base, you put Donovan at second base, and now you're just going younger and cheaper, and honestly, you probably turn your attention to the free agency market for that pitcher as well. Like, you could trade Nolan, and you'll get, let's say, Bobby Miller, right? He's a part of your rotation now, and then I would, like, turn my attention to Blake Snell and try to sign Blake Snell to a massive long-term contract because now I'm just building behind young position players and freaking awesome pitching. Uh, so that that would be the way that I would turn my attention if you were going to go that route. I don't think they should, but that would probably be my route that I would go. Or Yamamoto, honestly. I would just like get a last-minute meeting with Yamamoto and say, hey, $300 million, here you go. Yeah. Yeah. You get the $30 million that we were previously paying to Nolan Arenado. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't trade e- either, um, but you're probably right. I think Arenado would be the guy that you trade because there are more natural fits. But I, I guess I would say I would rather have Arenado over the next, what's he got, five years left? Then, you know, I think Goldie maybe has, what, three years left in his career, four years left in his career. So, like, in that case, maybe I'd consider Goldie. But, again, I I wouldn't trade both because I'm with BK. I would build around them, and I would go all in, and I'd go after a Glass now or a potential Dylan Cease if they don't want Nolan Gorman in that package. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. Guys, do you think one of Purdy, Prescott, or Tyreek Hill will be the MVP? I don't think Tyreek Hill is going to get it, even though I think he is the most deserving person of the MVP right now. As of today, I would say that it will probably be Brock Purdy, even though I completely disagree with it being Brock Purdy. The way that you typically see these things go is, who's the quarterback on the best team? And this year, the best team has been the San Francisco 49ers. I don't think there's a close second. And he's been the quarterback, and he's been really good for them. Um, So while I have my disagreements with it, I think he would probably be my favorite today for the MVP. I I actually think it's going to be Dak. And I think this Sunday night. Got to win. Got to win this week. This Sunday night, if he puts up a a solid performance the rest of the season, although I know it's still challenging with the Bills and Dolphins and Lions, but if you put up a big-time show against the Philadelphia Eagles and then just maintain that same level the rest of the way, I think Dak's the clear-cut guy because he just personally has done it with less weapons than Brock Purdy. Yeah, I'm kind of with Alex. I think if any of those three are going to win, it would be Dak. I, I hope so because I've got a bet on him. Yeah, I. And oh, it, now I'm rooting for Brock. Yeah, it does take a big. It does take a big weekend this this weekend against Philadelphia. But I would take him. I I just don't get the hype around the Brock Purdy in terms of MVP experience. Like he is definitely a better. Like when I think MVP, I think of a guy that is a game breaker I'm gonna win this game by myself Brock Purdy we saw what happens when he doesn't have weapons with him this year they lost three in a row now I think he was out for one of those games remember but they lost three in a row he needs those weapons around him Dak like he has CeeDee Lamb and then what's his next best weapon like, Brandon Cooks yeah and like it's taken yeah. nine weeks to get him Tony going Pollard has been Pollard's terrible been this terrible. year their offensive line has so, been hurt pretty much all I, season if I had to give it to one of those three I think Dak's the one that's most deserving he's Tanner Hendrickson that's Alex Ferrario and I'm Brandon Kylie. if you guys have any questions or if you want to get involved in the show 314-399-9646 is the place to do so that is the air comfort service text line you guys can always watch us on YouTube as well youtube.com slash 101 ESPN STL if you want to go back after the show you want to check out the podcast 
You can do that, of course, at 101ESPN.com or the free 101 ESPN app. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. But you can also check it out on YouTube at 101 STL. You can rewatch the show in its entirety over there. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get to our football pick in the 12 o'clock hour. We'll also catch up with Mark Topkin, who covers the Tampa Bay Rays for the Tampa Bay Times. Want to get his thoughts on what it would take for a team to trade for Tyler Glass now this offseason and what does the future of Randy Rosarena look like in Tampa Bay? We'll get into all of that coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. But next, are the Cardinals becoming the start of a trend in Major League Baseball? Might be more likely than you think. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. and T-Bone on BK. We got Bradford Bruns back in the studio because we are broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center. Alex, the Cardinals are putting Tyler O'Neill at the front of the priority list of what their next accomplishment should be. They would like to trade Tyler O'Neill before they make any other moves this offseason. Potentially a couple of hurdles in the way. Most notably that uh, Tyler O'Neill doesn't have a ton of value out there on the trade market right now. But Derek Gould reported this earlier today in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Quote, the Cardinals have had ongoing meetings with representatives for free agent relievers and in some cases signaled that trading Tyler O'Neill will give them more clarity on what they can spend or what they need in these free agent moves. The Cardinals want to add two relievers. If they need to move Tyler O'Neill first to sign a reliever, they might have to then end up going out there and making another move to clarify what they can expect in return. And for that to happen, they need demand to be defined by supply leaving the market. All of that comes from Derek Gould. To simplify things, the Cardinals don't know what they need in their bullpen right now via free agency or trade because they don't know what they're going to get in return for Tyler O'Neill. Well, I'm sorry, but not to cut you off, but that's the that's the dumbest part to me. Like, wh- you, are you really sitting there thinking we're going to address one of our bigger needs in terms of a back end of the rotation arm with Tyler O'Neill? So we need to go out to the free agent market. I could tell you what you need following the Tyler O'Neill trade: two relievers <laughs> with talent that can contribute to the major league no, level this no, season. No, we're going to get a reliever. No, you're not. You're not going to get a reliever that you, is you going- might. You might get a reliever. And he's not eating any innings this season for you at the major league level. He might. No, he will not. I, I think they could get somebody like Carlos Hernandez, who the, the Royals think has a 10 I think if he like, could have, it they, would have been already had. They think the, the Royals think that Carlos Hernandez stinks. He throws 99. He doesn't really know where it's going, but he strikes out an occasional batter. Like He's got some talent in there. He just... Okay, but if the Royals wanted him and the Cardinals said, sure, why not? Why hasn't it been done yet? Because the Cardinals are waiting out the market to find out. And and listen, I I think this is silly. I I would just. I hope every bullpen free agent arm signs before the Cardinals decide to trade Tyler O'Neill. I'm like, well, we thought we were going to get something for him. So that is what I think might end up happening. And that's my concern here is you may risk waiting too long and then by the time you're ready to explore this market in its entirety you're you're too far behind that is the risk of what they're doing right now now the benefit the potential benefit at least is hey when Shohei Otani signs which might be as soon as this afternoon now the market starts to really churn and you see Cody Ballinger off of the market next and then you see Lourdes Gurriel Jr. off the market and you see some of these other guys start to make their moves and you've got teams that are still looking for an outfielder with real upside, and they're looking around, and they're like, okay, we don't really see a lot of good options out here. Like, we've got players out there that are available, sure, but 
are we really going to go the whole like 30 plus year old free agent outfielder that we know exactly who he is? Or are we going to bet on upside and get a five and a half million dollar one year contract for Tyler O'Neill? There may be a team that says, hey, it's more valuable for us to go that route as opposed to giving Eddie Rosario, for example, a one year, 12 million dollar contract. So you could see something like that, especially if it's a smaller market team like the Guardians or the Royals, etc. But you've got to wait. And if you wait too long after Shohei signs, maybe another team says, you know what, we're not going to improve our rotation the way that we wanted to. We're not going to be able to improve our offense the way we wanted to. Let's go get Josh Hader. And when Josh Hader signs, now you've got the trickle-down effect of, okay, the rest of the free agent relief market starts to move. And then the trade market on relievers starts to move, and boom, Cardinals are between a rock and a hard place because they're waiting to get sufficient value for Tyler O'Neill. Just go make the deal, man. You jumped the market on the starting pitching, and I think that was smart. Do the same with this Tyler O'Neill trade. Just take what you can get right now. Yes, it's going to be underwhelming most likely. It's probably going to be underwhelming whether you do it now or by the time we get to later on in the offseason. It becomes more underwhelming the longer you wait because other teams are going to be like, do we really want to trade this to go get that guy or we can just sign this guy? And that's why I, it just it's amazing to me that you I don't s- think the Cardinals have the leverage they think they do. I think they're sitting in denial thinking that somebody's going to just say, well, we need to meet the asking price so we'll give this guy that we don't really want to give up for Tyler O'Neill. When in all reality, that's not happening. Every team that they've tried to pursue to trade for Tyler O'Neill isn't going to change their decision on Tyler O'Neill because you know somebody is going to tweet out within now and spring training, Tyler O'Neill is in the best shape of his life and feels he's ready to prove doubters wrong. That's not going to raise the trade, the tr- uh, raise the trade value either. The other thing that somebody on the text line mentioned, Seabone, and I want to get your thoughts on this from the six three six guys. What difference does it make if you trade Tyler O'Neill's five million dollars away now or in two months? You've read that you've rid yourself of the money either way. You know right now exactly what you're going to have to spend. That's my other thing. It's like if you decide to trade Tyler O'Neill now or in three months, you've still sent the five and a half million dollars elsewhere. He's not going to be on your opening day roster. So operate over the next three months as if you don't have his money on the books. That's the easiest way to go about this. Now, I guess what they would say in return to that response would be, well, we may include him in a bigger deal for one of the pitchers. That's one of the things that Derek Gould's been reporting. Maybe they find a way to do that, but if you do... The bigger deal is really what matters there. It's not Tyler O'Neill's money because whether you do it in a one-off deal for a reliever right now or if you do it later on this offseason for a minor leaguer or if you do it in a bigger deal, the $5.5 million is being sent somewhere else no matter what that money is. So operate accordingly and then you figure out what you need to do in your bullpen. I would just right now try to jump the market by trading Tyler O'Neill or signing one of those relievers today. Even if you don't move Tyler O'Neill off right now, that should not be the priority. The priority is improving the bullpen in whatever way you can and figure out the rest from there. Yeah, that's where I am. Is I, I would be focusing on the priority of, okay, we need bullpen help. Okay, how do we do that? Can we get a trade? It sounds like there's not a trade there. And I think when, when you see the reports and say, well, the Cardinals have explored the trade market, but now they're going to have to probably pivot to free agency. It's because they're not getting a bullpen arm for Tyler O'Neill, Not the one that they want, at least a high-leverage arm. So that's where, like, the Phil Maton market comes into play, where you go in, sign him. You basically, like you said, you operate under the assumption you're going to get rid of Tyler O'Neill's money because it would be shocking that he's on this opening day roster when we get there. I, I, would, I would jump the – I would go to the free agent market, get the bullpen arm you're targeting, get him, and then I would then make Tyler O'Neill the pivot for trading him for a big arm. And honestly, I don't know how he would be involved in a – 
bigger deal. Like, I I just don't see a team wanting to take on a salary like totally Dylan Cease. Do. I, I don't see the White Sox saying, yeah, you know, well, let's take on a salary like Tyler O'Neill. So this is going to sound crazy, and I want to ask Mark Topkin about this coming up in about 20 minutes or so, but I do wonder if maybe that's something they're considering with the deal right. for, uh, for Tyler Glass now, and the reason why the Rays would even consider it. And I don't think they would because he's going to refuse to play on their field, obviously. So that's, he's only eligible to play in 81 that's games. That's the reason I was going to say. But if they're trading Randy or Rosarena this offseason, if that's their stated mission is to remove his salary from the books, I, I guess you could see in that scenario why it would make sense for them. But still, it it doesn't answer but, the question of, well, he's only going to play in 80 games yeah, next year. Exactly. So how, how are you? Because that's, that's the thing I don't like. If he didn't come out and say, like, oh, I can't play in Tampa Bay because my knees, then, yeah, there's where it makes sense. Instead of dumping all $25 million of the salary, Tampa dumps basically 20 and they just take on 5 right. mil from Tyler O'Neill. But why are they going to take a guy that his knees don't play on turf? Like, it just doesn't make sense. So I, I can't see them waiting and putting him in a big, bigger package for a starting pitcher. Like, I don't think Seattle's making a move, and we'll talk to the Seattle beat writer later on in today's show to where they need Tyler O'Neill in the outfield. Um, I I don't know. I, I would sign the free agent bullpen you're looking for and then explore back to the Tyler O'Neill route and honestly just take a shot in the dark prospects well, for him. to sit here and, and talk about their finances, like you're telling me that you haven't like projected what this is going to look like, yeah. like you mentioned of we're not having Tyler O'Neill's money on the books. You know what that looks like. Somebody texted in and said their 40-man roster is full, so they can't no, sign anybody. They have Moises Gomez on the 40-man roster. They could sign somebody today and just remove him. If They've they got like to. five guys on their 40-man roster they can remove from it. That was just the one that somebody. is most glaring wow. because yeah, that was ridiculous. You don't have to shoot Lil Poppy first. There's other guys we could go to first. Moises Gomez was on the roster at the end of the season when they were calling up guys that I have never heard of who have been in the big leagues or around the big leagues for like a decade. It was developing. Spark. It was that power yeah. spark. And the searching. Cardinals were like, yeah, we don't want Moises Gomez anywhere near our 26 man roster if they didn't do it then Moises Gomez is not going to be on the 40 man next year he's currently on your 40 man you have spots to play with that is absolutely not an excuse for the Cardinals right now um so yeah I I flatly reject that as the reason why they're not he vehemently disagrees Tanner Mark Topkin coming up in about 15 minutes or so but coming up next it's time for our football pick him I've got three games that I really like heading into the weekend we'll get to him next year on 101 ESPN we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Broadcasting live at the ENB Granite Studios out of the Centene Community Ice Center. Somebody on the text line earlier today said, guys, did I miss it earlier this week? I didn't hear you breaking down your picks. No, you didn't. Uh, we were so bad last week, and there was so much happening at the uh, winter meetings this week that we just we, didn't, we couldn't get to it. We One could, of us we, was so bad last we week could that they not decided squeeze not it in. to. Okay, Mr. One for three over there. I'm sorry, what my one for three get me? Three points that's, for Alex. That's right. Three points for Tanner. What'd your one win get you? No wins for oh, okay. me. I was 0 for three, Good. and all three teams that I selected lost outright last weekend. Let's I had all remember. Oregon, I had Philadelphia, and I had Georgia. All with the points or minus the points, and all of them lost. And let's the remember, game. BK had a historic run yeah. in the last session. And I'm getting back on track this week. I'll get to my picks coming up here in just a little bit. If you're new to this, the way that we make it work, each of us gets three selections every single week. The only rules here are that they have to be against the spread. It has to be before we get back on the air on Monday morning. 
No props, no game props, nothing like that. Just against the spread, you give us your picks. We label it in a scale of one to three, one being the fewest points, three, of course, being the most. T-Bone, what do you got as your one-point play going into the weekend? All right, so my one-point play, I'm going to say the famous line. Guys, I don't get this line. Um, The Colts are plus two and a half at Cincinnati. Cincinnati's not good without Joe Burrow. I know they just came off a great win, and Browning was good. Man, I ain't buying that. I ain't buying what Browning was selling. You did see what he did in that game, right? Yeah, I'm not buying it, though. You know, everybody can have one good game. We looked at each other. I'm going Colts plus two and a half. They've got the better quarterback in Gardner Minshew. Plus two and a half Colts at the Cincinnati Bengals. I got it at one and a half. I do, too. I'll uh, take it. One and a half is better. Uh, we look I'm at just each- checking to make sure that there's not a, a two and a half somewhere yet. I'll give you two. I can find it at two. I'll take two. <laughs> okay. I'll take plus two. Either way, they're going to cover. They're going to win this game out. We right. looked at each other the exact same moment when he said that. They haven't done anything without Joe Burrow. <laughs> That's a one-off, man. He's not that good a quarterback. Okay. I, I do agree with you on that. But to say that they've done nothing, like they literally nothing. just threw for more than 300 yards. Who were they playing? touchdowns Wait. in that game. Yeah, they are playing Jacksonville, whose defense stinks. All right. <laughs> Alex, what do you got? All right. Well, I'm going to my uh, one-point play. I'm taking the Baltimore Ravens at home, minus seven and a half. Lamar Jackson's back at practice today. It's fine. The Rams stink. Lost. The Rams stink. We know they they're going to make the playoffs. I think this will be an easy win, win for them. Seven and a half scared me a little bit. That's why I put it at my one point play because I was hoping I'd get it at like six or six and a half. Yeah, but number. I think they could cover with this one. So I'll say seven and a half for the home team. All right. So he's got the Baltimore Ravens minus the seven and a half points. I am also going with a favorite. I am taking the Cowboys minus the three and a half points against the Eagles. Alex, this might be me overreacting to my bet that I placed last week in which I had the Eagles against the 49ers. My fear here is that the Cowboys have done nothing against the quality opponents on their schedule. They are the NFC's version of the Dolphins so far this year. That being said, I do think the Eagles have become a bit of a paper tiger, and I I should have taken the 49ers side last week. But out of principle, because I believe in the Eagles, I had to take the Eagles. I'm going with the Cowboys in this spot. I think they're the better team. Give me the Cowboys at home minus the three and a half points. I wish it was three, but three and a half will take. I'm... The repeat of that one is my two-point play, but I'm the other side. Oh. I took the Eagles. I, I, I think the Eagles, after that butt-whooping, are going to be a little more pissed off. And everybody always gets up for that game. And frankly, I will take the Eagles' defense over the Cowboys' defense as it stands right now. So I'll take the Eagles in this one. Yeah, I kind of liked your side on that one. I almost took it as my one-point play, but as we know, Browning hasn't done anything. All right, my two-point play. The Lions minus three at the Chicago Bears. I think Goff is going to bounce back. He had a rough game against the Bears at home. I think he bounces back. I think he has a better game. And by him having a better game, they're going to cover three points easily. So I like the Detroit Lions minus three at the Chicago Bears. I am also taking the Detroit Lions minus the three points at the Chicago Bears. Me too. That's my (laughs) three-point play. (laughs) Come on. So, T-Bone, as a Rams fan, you know the downside of Jared Goff in the outdoor weather going on the road. That is why, in my opinion, this line is what it is. Because Jared Goff on the road is a disaster more often than not. So I was unwilling for that reason to put it as my three-point play. But, man, the Lions are just a significantly better football team than the Chicago Bears. And if you're telling me I can get a minus three, this was three and a half or four, I might not touch it. 
But three points, I'll go ahead and take it. I think the Lions are the flat-out better football team. T-Bone, what is your three-point play this week? All right, so I know I, I think the big reason for this line being down is the number one wide receiver is now out for the season. Houston Texans minus three and a half at the New York mm. Jets. Jets defense is good, but I trust C.J. Stroud. Zach Wilson's afraid to be even playing this football game. He might get hurt. The offensive line is not going to protect him. He's going to be running around trying to just not get injured. So I think this is easy. I don't think it's going to be a blowout because I think the Jets can keep this game close. But I think the Texans can win by seven points at least. So I'm going to take the Texans minus three and a half at the Jets. Boys, I can't believe I'm doing it. I can't on the Army believe Navy game? that I am doing it. Betting on the Army-Navy game? My team might be done. Yeah, they are. I certainly don't anticipate them winning this weekend. Isaiah Pacheco is almost certainly going to be out. Their number one running back is going to be Clyde Edwards-Alaire in that scenario. Their one thing that they've done well lately is run the football. Well, without Isaiah Pacheco and with Clyde Edwards-Alaire, who's basically Mike Tolbert of 2023, I don't think that they're going to be able to do that on the ground. Their defense is without their number one safety who plays deep going up against an offense in Buffalo that almost exclusively likes to throw deep. Josh Allen has a lot to prove. They're coming off of their bye. This is a team that I think it's their most consequential game that the Bills have played in the last 20 years. If they lose this game, their season is over, and I think this era of Bills football is over. All of that is on the line. Their coach might get fired sooner rather than later if they lose this football game for all of those reasons and so many more. I'm taking the Bills not just to beat Kansas City in Arrowhead. I think they win by potentially two scores in this one. I like the Bills plus the one and a half points. Buffalo wins in For somebody Kansas who City. despises Josh Allen, I'm surprised you're taking that bet. I don't think, like, if the, these two teams were playing in the playoffs, I would not be taking Buffalo. But in this setting, with wow. them being backs against the wall, coming off of a bye, everything, like, Whew. I, I think this is a really tough spot for the Chiefs. So I, I like the Bills a lot, minus, or plus the one and a half points. I would take the minus one and a half this week. Frankly, I wouldn't take the Bills against the Chiefs in the playoffs because the Chiefs got the refs in their pocket. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get to the junk drawer. We've got an interesting story that took place yesterday, one of my favorite news reports I've ever heard. We'll get into that coming up in just a little bit. But next, Mark Topkin covers the Tampa Bay Rays for the Tampa Bay Times. He's going to tell us what it would take for another team to acquire Tyler Glass now this offseason and what does the future hold for Randy or Rosarena? Is it going to be in Tampa? We'll talk to Mark Topkin about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We're broadcasting live from the E&B Granite Studios today out at the Team Community Ice Center. Blues back in action this evening. Alex will have pregame coverage for that one coming up this evening here on your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. But right now we shift our attention back to the Cardinals and back to Major League Baseball as a whole by going out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Mark Topkin. He covers the Tampa Bay Rays for the Tampa Bay Times. Does a fantastic job over there. And earlier today he had a piece talking about what the Rays' plans are the rest of this offseason, including this line. Most likely to go is frontline starter Tyler Glass now and his $25 million salary, perhaps soon. Mark Topkin joins us now on BK and Ferrario. Mark, we appreciate the time, and thank you so much for hopping on with us today. What do you think the timeline looks like right now for Tyler Glass now in those trade discussions? 
Well, I think it's unfortunately one of those things that's kind of unpredictable. I mean, we thought going into the winter meetings, or I thought that uh, they might try to be preemptive here. There's, you know, a handful of starters that have been rumored to be on the trade market, Burns, Cease, and Bieber, uh, that maybe the Rays would be a little proactive in that regard. But then you kind of wondered, given some of the bigger name teams are going to be tied up in Juan Soto and Otani, which may or may not be coming to a conclusion here today, uh, and then uh, Yamamoto and then Blake Snell you know, on the starting pitching market, will they end up having to wait? Or is it better to wait till the other side of that and you know, see who doesn't get a starter? And maybe they're a little more desperate, a little more motivated. So I honestly don't know if it's one of those things that could happen. It could have happened and could happen today. It could happen you know, a month from now. Uh, and, and I don't know that there's a lot of good time. So needless to say, I carry my phone. Uh, and have a little pre-written story in my phone already about him getting traded just to fill in the blanks. Mark, when you look at what the Rays are going to be looking for, if and when they do trade him, though, what do you think they want to add? Is this a scenario where they're looking to replenish their farm system? Are they looking for major league-ready pieces? What, what are you anticipating the Rays will want in return whenever they do make that deal? Well, let me preface this by saying one thing about the Rays, and, and they're not unique in this, but I do think they, they are strong advocates of this and, and maybe in a, a smaller group of teams. Uh, you know, they, have, they may have a shopping list, but they're willing to make a lot of stops at the mall. So, in other words, if they don't get what they need, they have a better trade by getting something else. They'll be happy to then take on the task of going somewhere else to get what they need or flipping something that they got. Uh, and maneuvering around that way. So they wouldn't take less to get what they want. What they need is some young starting pitching, which it seems like probably every team could tell you that they need that, some young controllable starting pitching. They're in a situation where they're going to open the year without three of the five guys that were in their rotation last year because of injury. McClanahan will be out for the full year. Uh, Springs will be maybe back around midseason. Rasmussen probably August or so and might come back as a reliever, uh, given he's had several arm uh, elbow issues. So, they're looking to kind of restock their rotation, if that's a fair way to put it. They're always looking for dynamic young players who can turn out to be superstars like Randy Rosarena was when they got him from the Cardinals a few years ago. You knew I was going to bring that up. Of course. Uh, they need, they need you know, what do they need? They need a young starting pitcher or two. They need a catcher. They only have one in the 40-man roster. The Wander Franco situation is a very vexing thing for them because they have to – assume he's not going to be back and they have to stock up to have someone to play that position and have a backup. Uh, but they also could get him back at some point too. So they're not going to, you know, probably invest a ton in that. So that that's a weird situation to work around. Taylor walls will be the starter. He's actually coming off hip surgery, might not be ready for opening day, which is a long winded way of saying, you know, maybe a optionable, infielder, versatile guy who can play short, can play somewhere else, maybe he's an infielder, outfielder type. Uh, so those would be the kind of things they'd be looking for in trading Tyler Glass now. So, so Mark, obviously a ton of teams are going to be interested in this conversation, but do you think the Cardinals match the best with Tampa Bay? Prove that Mo was serious when he said they were going to go get pitching, right? They've already signed three starting pitchers. <laughs> so to, to see them turn around and, and trade for one, I would, I'd probably be a little surprised. I mean, it's a pretty big investment for one year. It's obviously a bigger investment for a smaller market team such as Tampa Bay than it would be 
for the Cardinals or, or one of the true, you know, big market type teams. Uh, you know, you don't have any guarantee of having him pass the one year. He has never really had a full healthy season. Uh, there's, and sometimes it's just little things. He's missed starts. He had, you know, last year it was an oblique. Uh, one year he had some issues with cramping in his hands and legs. He had to come out of a couple starts. Uh, so I think the 120 innings that he had last year is pretty much like his big league high, 21 starts. That was his big league high. So it's a little bit of a – I mean, I don't even want to say it's a gamble, but you're not – you know, you're getting one year and you have to assume everything's going to go right in that one year. So, sure, I would think the Cardinals, like almost every other team, would have some interest. I've heard about half the teams have been serious. Uh, the ones that have come out for whatever reason, you know, not necessarily even factually, but have been Dodgers, Cubs, Braves, uh, those three Reds for sure. But, look, they just came from four days in Nashville. There's so much misinformation at the winter meetings and things that literally people hear and hear from someone else and throw out there, and you don't even know where that first person got it. So who's really involved? I couldn't really tell you, but I would think any team that needs a starting pitcher would have some interest in Tyler Glass now. Well, Mark, you mentioned, uh, you know, Glasnow's missed time due to, to cramping. Uh, the Cardinals have somebody who's missed a lot of time due to cramping, so like a Tyler O'Neill for Tyler Glasnow swap seems likely, Let's right? Let's get it done. Call it there in. You, there you go, and they could keep some of the locker placards the same with the same first name and everything, you know, through the second half. So, uh, so look, I mean, Glasnow's – And it's a Cardinals outfielder, Mark. <laughs> like, Cardinals outfielders work for Tampa Bay. There you go. I mean, there is a little bit of a track record there, right? So, do you, how tall is your pitching coach? That's another question. <laughs> I don't know. Dusty Blake's like my six <laughs> foot. I don't know, actually. Uh, one of the benefits that Tyler Glass now has had here is Kyle Snyder's been the pitching coach, and he also is a six foot eight uh, pitcher. So, he was very helpful to Tyler, like in getting all those levers and long limbs working together. So you might have to hire like a tall pitching coach or an assistant or something too, to well, be like in the, the market team. for an assistant pitching coach. We'll so trade for just, him too. That that'll determine the, the path that they need to take. One of the requirements for the job is you have to check yes or no. Are you six foot seven? Right. <laughs> that'll, so you, that'll limit that the candidates. The, that might be the tip off for you. If they hire a tall <laughs> assistant pitching coach, you might think there's a pending deal for glass. Now there's a there fair reporting trick there. See, we're, we're, we're just making the world work over here uh, on 101 ESPN. Mark Topkin is our guest. Uh, he covers the Tampa Bay Rays for the Tampa Bay Times. Uh, Mark, I did want to ask you a little bit about your perspective on glass now, because I, I, I'm kind of with you. I'm, I'm skeptical that the Cardinals will go make another move for a starter, but there is so many differing opinions on that that it makes me wonder maybe, maybe they will go out there and try to acquire somebody else that is a frontline starter. In your opinion, based on what you have seen from Tyler Glass now, if he were the guy that somebody had pegged to be the game one starter for their team in a playoff series, do you think he matches that with the way that he pitches? Is he that level of a starter when healthy? I mean, there is – let me put it this way. That's, that's definitely in him. Now, it didn't come out this year. That was exactly the situation. They went with him in game one instead of Eflin. It was a little bit of a surprise. Uh, in fact, our columnist, our fine columnist here at the Tampa Bay Times, John Romano, wrote that column saying, is this going to be Tyler Glass now's signature moment? That really wasn't. It was kind of shorthand. It didn't really go too good, didn't stay in the game very deep, and uh, it was a kind of a frustrating day, and, and, you know, it was a frustrating and very quick two days for the Rays, and they were suddenly gone after winning 99 games. But, 
I do think Tyler Glasnow has that potential. Now, people will tell you that they thought that with Pittsburgh too, but this is a guy who really benefited from the trade to the Rays. He was kind of buried by the end of his time there in Pittsburgh. He was pitching out of the bullpen. He was pitching in middle relief, low leverage. He was kind of beaten up over there like, you know, you didn't make it. We're going to just keep you around now and see what happens. And then he got a new lease when the Rays traded uh, Chris Archer to Pittsburgh. They got Glasnow, Austin Meadows, and Shane Boz, a young pitcher who's going to come back this year from Tommy John and probably be really, really good too. So uh, it worked wonders for Glasnow then. I do think he's in a good place mentally. He's a great guy. He's a, a very um, a kind of eclectic case. He goes to vacations overseas every year. Um, in fact, there's some pictures of him on his Instagram. He was like in the desert in Peru, and then he was at a wedding in Tulum and some other crazy things. So all kinds of adventures, and he's a great interview. Uh, so he, he's a good guy to have. He's a really good pitcher. Uh, it's a one-year deal if you get him, obviously, with the chance, of course, to keep him if you want to extend him. So it'll be curious to see, but I think he's a good fit with a lot of teams. When you talk with people in the industry, what is your impression of his value around the league? Do you anticipate Tampa getting a significant haul in return for one year of Tyler Glass now? Well, if you you can't say this without making it sound like you're picking on the guys that got these contracts, but if Luis Severino is worth $13 million on a one-year deal and Nick Martinez just got, what, $26 million over two from Cincinnati, and mm-hmm. that $12, 13000000 million range seems to be going. In fact, didn't, that's what Lance Lynn got, right? That's kind of the – I was say, you could just say the two guys that the Cardinals got. It's yeah. Kyle yeah. Gibson We're, and Lance Lynn, $25 million yeah. combined. We've accepted right. it now, Mark. <laughs> Okay, so that's, if that's the going rate for back-end starters, who are probably – that's where they are right now, right? I think you could make the case that $25 million and some prospect inventory, so it's, it's an added cost there. But a guy who has the upside of glass now, I do think it's pretty appealing. It's, it's not going to be everybody. Like I said, I think, you know, other teams at the raise end of the financial scale aren't going to be interested. But I've heard some of the AL, AL East teams are interested, and one of them may be getting Otani today, so that would be quite something. Uh, but I do think there's enough interest that they will get uh, a pretty good return. I don't, they won't get as much back for him as when they got him for Archer because of just the one-year control. But I do think they'll get some key pieces back or a key piece in a prospect or something like that. Mark, what happens with Randy or Rosarena with all of these reports? Um, I think Randy or Rosarena, I think he stays here. I mean, he's a guy that a lot of teams have asked about, and the Rays have – that's kind of – again, I think most teams probably do this. They just make a bigger deal out of acknowledging it, that if people ask about their players, even guys that you think you're not going to trade, they're going to run the ball out and listen and see where it leads to. So they've had some people ask about Randy Rosarena. He's going to make about $9 million this year. It's his second of four years of arbitration. He's going to be old enough that he probably won't get an extension from the Rays. He'll probably end up staying here and then getting traded, you know, in a year or two and then go somewhere else and, you know, finish out his contract and then sign his eligibility and then sign a long-term deal somewhere. But uh, he's really good. They made a big marketing push uh, with him this year. They had the Randy Land seating section in left field. Um, that was kind of cool every Friday night. And, he hit a home run, everybody in the place got a free beer or something. So that was a pretty big moment the one time he did. Uh, so that was cool. But uh, he, he's a pretty big guy, a pretty big part of their team here. So I'd be surprised if they trade him this year. Now, this time next year, if he has, you know, he's had three straight 2020 years. So if he does that again and 
continues to improve, then I think you could see that number get to the point where they probably trade him by this time next year. Mark, are you willing to exclusively report that the Tampa Bay Rays are out on Shohei Otani? You know what? I think that's a safe bet. When, but the other day, <laughs> when, when Ken Rosenthal reported the other day that uh, Shohei Otani was in Dunedin, which is just down the road here where the Blue Jays training site is, I did text some Rays people and say, what are you guys doing tonight? What are you guys doing? <laughs> Got a few good laughs. check in. Where I, were you I, on I, the I, night of December 7th? <laughs> Right, exactly. No, it's it's yeah. I, I think we can safely say that, and then I think you could probably say the same about the Cardinals at this point. Whoa, 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 whoa! You don't know. Maybe he decides he wants some T Ravs late in the evening. If it's a thirty-plus million-dollar contract and it's more than six years, I think you can go ahead and safely say at this point that the Cardinals are out on any of oh, those deals, uh, given what we've seen in have, the last. You got, if you guys have been looking at Twitter, there's like uh, been some private jet tracking going on, and. The uh, plane that's supposedly on its way to Toronto. So unless you know that was just the Rouge and they're pulling into St. Louis and the Lambert, you might have it. Well, they've know. got another one that's going over to the UK. So somebody speculated maybe signing with Arsenal. Who, who knows at this point, Mark? He, he could be going anywhere. Someone will see him at some point at the Southwest <laughs> um, Airlines here in St. Louis at uh, the Lambert, and they'll say, "Hey, Shohei's in St. Louis." It's gonna be great. He loves toasted wraps. Mark, we appreciate the time, man. Thanks so much for hopping us on to, uh, or hopping on with us today. Uh, we we feel like we've got a better idea of what the situation is down there with Tyler Glass now. All the best to you and the family, man. All right, man, no problem. Fun talking with you guys. Thanks, Mark. You got it. That's Mark Topkin. Covers the Tampa Bay Rays for the Tampa Bay Times. Does a fantastic job down there. Alex, when, when I hear everything that he had to say about Tyler Glass now, here's a question that immediately comes to mind for me. If the Tampa Bay Rays were willing to trade you Tyler Glass now and a significant reliever, I don't know who that specifically would be, but a significant reliever from their roster, would you be willing to give up Brendan Donovan? I probably would because I'm keeping my better bat in Nolan Gorman. It, it puts a hell of a prowess on Lars Newpart to be that contact guy. Hopefully my upside of Thomas the JC can get close to what Brendan Donovan is. But if I'm getting that big-time reliever with Tyler Glass now, I would probably pull the trigger on like that If one. it's like Peter Fairbanks who has connections to the area, he, he went to Mizzou, would you consider that, T-Bone? Yeah, I would. I, I would be open to the idea of moving Donovan because I, I think you have a similar bat profile in Lars Newpar. I don't think you necessarily need two massive just on-base guys. Um, and right now he's in that super utility role, but Alex just mentioned a name like if Thomas J.C. shows up, I think you could have him be a guy that could take that role or at, at the All-Star break potentially, whatever he might be ready, and I think there's a chance he's ready this year. Victor Scott could take over center field. Tommy Evan goes back into that kind of Swiss Army knife role. So yeah, I would be very open to the idea of moving Donovan and building a package around that to get Glass now and Fairbanks if he's the relief or whoever. Yeah, it may and I, be. I don't know who it would be or what it would look like, but it just kind of when when he he was talking about hey they they need somebody that can play a bunch of infield spots like if they need him at shortstop one day he can play it if they need him at uh, third base one day he can do it like they they're gonna make a lot of moves this off season and it sounds like like Brandon Lau might be on the move Freitas might be on the move uh, they have no idea what the future holds for Wander Franco there's been a lot of talk about hey maybe this is the off season where they trade Andy Diaz coming off of a fantastic season for him. Um, they, they might be making those kinds of moves this offseason, so how do they replace those players? Well, no matter who the guy is that you end up moving on from, Brendan Donovan can probably play that spot. And they, have, they know what the value is of a player like Brendan Donovan because they were the team 
that developed and then got the best years out of Ben Zobrist, uh, Zobrist, who is probably the best comparison, honestly, for the value of Brendan Donovan. Um, He's young, he's cheap, he's cost-controlled, he does everything well. He feels very Tampa Bay Razy. And I don't know that the Cardinals would be willing to do that for a one-year rental, but if you got a big-time bullpen arm in addition to the starter, you're really kind of – uh, killing two birds with one stone, I, I could see how that would end up making some sense. You know, um, I, I wouldn't want to do it, but I could see how you could talk yourself into that being the move that ends up making you the best right now. Yeah, I, I'd be all for it because you have a bat that then can profile from the left side in Burleson that could take over DH where I think Donovan is. Um, now, if their plan is Gorman is the DH and Donovan's the second baseman, then I don't know what – I don't think you are trading Donovan then. But I would assume right now the plan is Gorman's at second and Donovan is DH slash utility guy. And in this scenario, you just have Alec Burleson as your DH yeah. and have Gorman at, at second base. Exactly. And, and if you if you feel like, you know, we got to go to the market and get a super utility guy, you can get like a Whit Merrifield for cheap probably to go fit that role. A lot of people are bringing up the possibility of Tommy Edmond as one of the players that you could send in return. I, I think Tommy Edmond might be too expensive for them. He's going to make $8 million projected in arbitration this year. He'll probably be closer to like 10 or 15 in 2025. I don't think that's the kind of move that the Tampa Bay Rays are likely to make. I think they're going to want to take back as little salary as possible yeah. uh, in return for, for somebody like Tyler Glass. Now, they would probably take Brendan Donovan, have him on the roster for the next two to three seasons while he's still cheap, and then trade Brendan Donovan three years from now. That's the way that this team operates, man. That's why there's even any discussion about them trading Randy or Rosarena is because he's making similar money this year to what Tommy Edmond is expected to yeah. make. So if they're thinking about trading Randy A for that kind of salary, yeah, I don't think they're going to take back a guy like Tommy Edmond, um, even if that is what the Cardinals would like to do in this scenario. All right, coming up in about 10 minutes or so, what happens to the Cardinals this season if uh, Arenado and Goldie are not – a top 10 duo in Major League Baseball. We'll talk about that given the rankings that MLB.com put out earlier today. But coming up next, my favorite report I think I've ever seen on a news story here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. on BK. So yesterday, Alex, and I was scrolling through Twitter, and I see a video, and people are freaking out about it. They're talking about how this is the greatest news report that they've ever seen. And frankly, I was like, okay, sure, yeah, okay. Hype this thing up to be something that it's not. I'm sure it doesn't live Can't up to expectations. Good. Oh. Might be the best news report I've ever heard. Just you wait. So CNBC was doing a segment about the stock price for DraftKings and how it's exploding and how they are expecting revenues to continue to increase twofold over the next few seasons. Great use of the word exploding. You'll find out why. Alex, I don't think I need to have any more of an introduction. Bradford, hit the report. DraftKings has doubled that performance. And um, you understand why. You have this massive secular wave behind it. So the negative impact is that it's all young men. And I parallel that with or dovetail that with Pew Research, which says that 63% of young men are single. And that's the highest it's ever been. And 50% of those young men have no interest in dating, not even casually. And 30% of those men, or 30% of young men, say they have not had sex in over a year. 
and don't seem to care. So the point because they're getting pleasure out of sports betting instead. So DraftKings says that that you know they doubled revenue every year, expected to double revenue over the next three years. But that's just on the existing states. So the most populous states don't have legalized online sports betting. But what this means for housing then is um, you have the lowest household formation growth rate in over 60 years. It could be longer, but that's as long as the data has been com uh, comprised. And so you have young men who don't want to date and young women who are spending their time really with, with Instagram moments, going to the Taylor Swift concert. I don't know if you've been to them. It's all yeah. filmed about yourself at the Taylor Swift con uh, concert. So, so they're not getting married and building homes. They're not what the hell is happening? That report just went like down a rabbit hole that I've never seen. So honestly, though, the follow-up from the news anchor that said, so basically guys are getting more pleasure from sports gambling. Yep, and that's clearly true. I personally feel this is an affront and a direct shot at Tanner Hendricks. Oh, Tanner yeah. Is in the target demo that they're discussing I mean, here. Let's single, young, doesn't want a date. better, doesn't want a date. Remember, we've tried, to, home. we've tried to get you out there, T-Bone. We've tried to do the T-Bone dating show, and you said, no, no, yeah. no. I'm it's more true. comfortable Sports gambling. Exactly. You guys, you hit that 10-leg parlay. I tell you what. No, wow. I tell you what. Nothing compares. I agree. No, not to the 10-game 10, 10 parlay. The other. No. The no. latter in this conversation. No, no. hard disagree. No. Are you <laughs> kidding me? <laughs> so, I love that she is willing to Man. just we, – we took an opening, right? And what I'm talking about here is DraftKings having better um, – uh, 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 having improved its stock price. We, so we've got that. And then we have gone down the rabbit hole of young men are not dating. Young men are not having sex. Young men and women are not getting married. And the housing crisis that is about to ensue. And we said, you know what? These are connected. <laughs> I don't have any reason to believe that is the case, but these are clearly all connected, according to CNBC. You guys, you guys watched Family Guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> my buddy just texted me a picture of the episode where Quagmire and his one hand is like looks like the Hulk. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about why he said Tanner when sports gambling's legalized in Missouri. <laughs> I think he's stroking it quicker. <laughs> it's just a picture of of Quagmire with his arm building. He said Tanner when Missouri legalizes sports gambling. <laughs> Do you have a response, Steve? No, it's too good. <laughs> <sighs> Coming up in 15 minutes, Ryan Divish covers the Seattle Mariners. <laughs> Alex has some thoughts about their pitching and why they should be acquired by the Cardinals this offseason. We'll see how likely that is with Ryan Divish coming up in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, what happens to the Cardinals next year if Arenado and Goldie are not considered to be a top 10 duo in Major League Baseball? We'll talk about it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. one of the best one-two punches in Major League Baseball. But what if they don't end up being even a top 10 position player duo in the sport in 2024? Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. MLB.com put out their rankings yesterday, T-Bone. 
of the best duos in the sport. Yesterday, we all said, eh, six or seven. That feels about right for Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. They did not have them among their top ten. Their top ten were know. as follows. The Yankees with Soto and Judge. The Dodgers with Freddie Freeman and Mookie. The Braves with Acuna and Olsen. So far, I don't see a whole lot of any, anything that I would disagree with. The Astros with Alvarez and Kyle Tucker. You could throw like seven different guys on there for the Astros, and it would have been fair. The Rangers with Seager and Simeon. The Phillies with Turner and Harper. The Orioles was an interesting one with Adley and Gunnar Henderson. They have the Blue Jays with Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette. And then the Mets. Sorry, my mic was off. I wasn't crazy yesterday when I asked if they yeah, were up there. I mean, I disagree with that, but it, it's a good duo. Uh, the Mets with Lindor and Alonzo. And then finally at 10th, Fernando Tatis Jr. and Manny Machado. They have the Cardinals listed among the honorable mentions. The others that were listed there, the Diamondbacks with uh, Corbin Carroll and Cattell Marte. So, Alex, I find this to be interesting because this is a national perspective on a conversation that we were having locally. I still disagree with it. I, I would have the Cardinals higher up on the list than where they do. They don't have them in the top ten. I would. I would have them probably seventh. That being said, if we finish the year and the consensus is Goldie and Arenado is not a top 10 duo in the sport, what does that mean in your mind for the Cardinals? It, it means you're not the team we thought you were. It, it means you're not a World Series contender. And, I mean, you could argue that they're not now with their pitching staff that they went out there and acquired. But let's say they make the trade for Glass now or Cease and they get the bullpen arms. If those two guys aren't top, top 10 duos, in Major League Baseball, you're not a World Series contender because now you're relying on your, your secondary pieces, and all of those teams you just mentioned are never relying on their secondary pieces unless there's injuries. And the secondary pieces, albeit good for the Cardinals, Gorman, Walker, Lars Nupar, uh, they're not to the same ilk of what Arenado and Goldschmidt can actually do when they're on their game. So, yeah, I mean, I'd argue it too. I think you could argue the Padres and the Blue Jays to where the Cardinals could be above them, but think of all those teams – prior to those names you mentioned. Those guys are the reason that the teams are World, World Series contenders. So if you don't update your pitching staff and those guys aren't those players for you, yeah, you're, you're going to be lucky to make it to the playoffs. I, well, I think you can make the playoffs if they're not top 10, but I think you're not going anywhere, to your point. They're not a contender for a World Series because we, as much as we talk about you need pitching to get you to the World Series and you got to have a guy that everybody fears, you also got to have a dynamic one-two punch that's going to scare the living crap out of everybody. And – if Goldie and Arnado are not that, then the only way for you to get into that conversation again is one of Gorman or Walker steps up Bingo. and takes over for one of, whoever it is that ends up taking that role. If it's Goldie, well, then you can't even assign Goldie to a contract extension and you let him walk to free agency next year. But it's twofold for me. If they're not a top duo and the Cardinals don't end up having a top duo be top 10, they're not World Series contenders. They might be able to win the Central depending on what happens this offseason, or they got to have somebody in that, of those two, Gorman and Walker, step into that role. That's what I think it, it, it put, put, puts pressure on, because it's entirely possible that at least one of Goldie or Arenado begins a steep decline this year, and that doesn't mean they become bad players. It might just mean they're good players as opposed to being elite major leaguers, which is what they've been for basically the entirety of their careers up to this point. Those guys are getting up there in age, especially Paul Goldschmidt. And if he took a little bit of a step back, I mean, he's coming at some point, whether it's this year, next year, two years from now, at some point, Paul Goldschmidt will fall off. Not necessarily a cliff, but he's going to decline. And when that happens, the Cardinals need to make up for that lack of production somewhere else. The most likely source of doing so is Jordan Walker. That's the guy that you're planning to be for you, what Gunnar Henderson has been for the Orioles. It's how the Orioles on this list, at least, 
are among the top seven, the place where I would otherwise have the Cardinals personally. So you need goal, you need Arnado and Goldie to be great next year. But if they are not, Gorman, more pressure on him. Walker, more pressure on him. Wilson Contreras, more pressure to continue to perform at the level that we saw from him a year ago because this offense has to be the driving force for the Cardinals in 2024. They have improved, in my opinion, their rotation. Not enough, though, for them to be a middling offense and to be a playoff team. They, they need to be, next year, a top 10 offense in the sport, top three to five in the National League, and if you have that combination, then you can probably get by with what you currently have available to you in your rotation. If you don't, though, uh, something has gone seriously awry. The follow-up question that I have to this, if Goldie does decline this year, I heard the morning show talking about this today, and I found it to be interesting, honestly. What's the long-term plan at first? Beyond 2023, who do you think is the most likely starter at that spot for the Cardinals? Do they have an internal answer? I don't think they do because I would say Walker. I don't think he's a first baseman. Well, you need Walker to be your outfielder because you don't have many other outfielders coming up that are going to be contributing other than Victor Scott, and I think he's center field. I guess if you still have Donovan and Gorman, one of those two guys could be there for you. Um, but I, I don't. I think you're going to have to go out there and acquire another first baseman if Goldie's not it. Yeah, I don't know if they have a everyday guy that you feel comfortable with playing there for, I don't even know how many games Goldie plays there, 130, 140 games in their system or on the team right now. Um, I think their closest answer internally is probably Alec Burleson because we've seen him. I think he looks good defensively, and I think you've brought up this comp before. He reminds me a little bit of Matt Adams, and like Adams was never a awesome defender, but he was solid. You could play him at first base. I think they would have to go searching for their first baseman. Now, who that is, I don't know yet, and we're not down that rabbit hole just yet. But I think if they had to go with, like, a stopgap year or go two years with a who's the first baseman outside of Paul Goldschmidt, it's probably Alec Burleson. It might be Wilson Contreras. Maybe if you end up finding a way to make that work there. I, I defensively, it, it'd be you need to see some serious improvement there. But Wilson could be somebody that you try. I think the obvious answer is Alec Burleson. But that requires them to not trade him this offseason. And if he ends up going in a deal, you might be in the market for a new first baseman in 2025. I know people will just immediately say, oh, well, it's Jordan Walker. I disagree. I think that completely eliminates part of the value of what he is as a player. He's incredibly athletic. He has a cannon for an arm. And both of those attributes are diminished if you have him playing every day at first base. I know that last year, especially the first few months of the season, it was ugly with him in the outfield. He's also new to the outfield. I expect him to be at a minimum average defensively this upcoming year. And if you have that from him, man, him being an average defender in right field with that arm, with that athleticism, is more valuable than him being an average defender at first base, regardless of what the offense looks like at either of those spots. Yeah, he's not a first baseman until like a decade from now. And what I mean by that is you see outfielders, the wear and tear eventually get moved to the infield. Like Mookie Betts, now yeah. going to be a second baseman. Bryce Harper, now going to be a first baseman. We're still a decade plus from Walker moving first, because I think you're right. He has too many tools to bring him into the infield. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In about 15 minutes, we'll get to a game of one's got to go. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four scenarios. We'll tell you which one's got to go here on BK and Ferrario. But coming up next, we're going to go back to the guest line to be joined by the Mariners beat writer for the, for the Seattle Times. He's Ryan Divish, who will dish his thoughts on what the future is for the Mariners' rotation and whether or not one could be headed to St. Louis. Ryan Divish next here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. You got BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN, and we are happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline to be joined by Ryan Divish. He follows the Mariners. He is their beat writer for the Seattle Times, and he's joining us now here on 101 ESPN. Ryan, we've talked a lot from our perspective about what it would mean for the Cardinals to potentially connect with Seattle on a trade that involves one of the Seattle Mariners pitchers. We are much like, I don't know, 29 other markets in Major League Baseball that would like to do so we wanted to get your expertise on this from your perspective do you believe that Seattle will listen this offseason on those starting pitchers that they have a surplus with yeah I think they have to um you know we kind of wrote about it a lot at the winter meetings but the Mariners are having some problems with their RSN and so they have to shed some payroll and they did already by trading Eugenio Suarez and Jared Kelnick you know, packaging him with two other contracts essentially to kind of get that flexibility. But, you know, they don't have a ton of money to spend on the free agent market to get hitters. And they're not very good at attracting free agent hitters anyways. So, you know, they may have to go the trade route, get some players in that regard, get a controllable hitter and use one of their pitchers to do so. And it could be Logan Gilbert. It could be um, Bryce Miller or Brian Wu. You know, we were even talking, uh, myself and some of the other writers, I think they'd listen to offers on Luis Castillo uh, if it was the right price. And if they felt like they could go out and sign a pitcher on the free agent market, they might listen for offers on Castillo. Uh, even though he has a no-trade clause, you can buy that out, especially because it's only a one-year deal or a one-year no-trade clause for this season. All right, Ryan. Well, you just mentioned two guys that tickle both of our fancy, so I'm going to start with mine because I have been obsessed with the opportunity to get a Logan Gilbert for like the last six months, and you just mentioned his name. That price to acquire him, though, it, do, does it seem like it would be out of this world if the if teams such as the Cardinals would jump into the conversation? Oh, absolutely, because you're talking you'd have four years of club control You know, going into this year. He's got four years of arbitration eligibility. And he's going to get expensive because he makes every start. And, uh, you know, that's very valued in, in arbitration uh, hearings and such and arbitration, kind of like the bargaining. So he makes every start and he's good. So, yeah, I mean, they're going to ask for a lot because everything that they believe in pitching, like the metrics and understanding all this stuff and continually trying to improve your craft, he embraces that. He's like their poster boy for it. So, you know, you're going to – they wouldn't want three or four players, at least three players. And, I mean, they're going to have to be legit dudes, at least one of them or two of them, to give them up because that's like their gold star. The problem is, is that, they also kind of know that it might be difficult to re-sign him in the future, like to sign him to extension. I don't know that he's really that interested in it. Would the starting point be a Nolan Gorman for Logan Gilbert? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I think that's, you know, I mean, I just don't see where – Dylan Carlson or any of those other guys is a starting point. It's got to be somebody that they know can step in right now and address some of the issues they have. Uh, and Gorman fits that because, you know, he hits. And he kind of, like, the stuff they want in terms of, like, understanding the strike zone and, and bowing, valuing that kind of stuff, Gorman embraces. So, yeah, that's who they want if they're going to get, you know, that's a, the guy you start with and go from there. 
Ryan Divish is our guest here on 101 ESP, and he covers the Seattle Mariners for the Seattle Times. I am curious, Ryan, when you think about what they're looking for, is it more position-specific or the type of hitter that they're looking for that they'd, they'd try to acquire this offseason and then they figure out the positions later on? Yeah, I don't think it's position-specific. They need another outfielder. But, you know, like they have a pretty good center fielder in uh, Julio Rodriguez, so they don't need a center fielder. You know, they don't need a catcher because they've got Cal Raleigh and they don't need a shortstop. They've got J.P. Crawford. But the rest of them, the rest of the team is largely unsettled. And I would think, you know, if you can upgrade at any one of those positions, you do it and just figure it out. So you, they're putting a premium on being able to hit first, and we'll figure out the rest later because they just – that's what their, their problem's been the last couple of years. You know, they don't hit enough. They didn't – that's what kept them from the postseason last year. You know, even – the year before when they did make the postseason, they still struggled to hit quite a bit. And I think that's the thing. And like I said, attracting free agent hitters to come to Seattle where it is cold, where you deal with the marine layer and the ball doesn't fly in April and May, that's just not attractive to to free agent hitters. And you throw in the travel factor and the fact that they've, they've not really won a lot. You know, I can see why people don't want to go there. Ryan, I, out of curiosity, do, do you think there is one starting pitcher in their rotation that is most likely to be moved this offseason, or is this purely about what they're able to get in return depending on what the, the return is from other teams? Yeah, I mean, like, I guess maybe Brian Wu or Bryce Miller. I'm trying to, you know, we've kind of gone back and forth who they'd rather keep. Probably, they would probably trade Bryce Miller the easiest. He's you know, he's kind of – you have some questions because he is smaller on the smaller side. It is a high-leverage arm, and, you know, it's a max effort delivery. Wu is a little more fundamental, so maybe they feel like he's less likely to get hurt. Wu's also already had Tommy John surgery, you know, and then came back from it. So I think he might – Bryce Miller might be the guy they're most willing to trade. Logan will be the – Logan or George Kirby the last for the most. You know, obviously Luis Castillo, but – you know, Castillo has the the contract, which actually is pretty pitcher is actually pretty friendly. You know, it's not it's not an overwhelming contract. And and you know, Castillo, like if you're looking for a guy that can strike people out and when he's right, dominate absolutely dominate games. I mean, that guy can do it. And you know, you guys have seen it in the in the NL Central when he was with the Reds. When he's right, when he's right, he's unhittable. Yeah, we, we've seen it for, for years, and it was very nice to get him out of the division, to say the least. Um, at, at a, when, when you look at Miller and Wu, you know more about them, certainly, uh, watching them uh, every fifth day this year than, than we do here in St. Louis, and then covering them as they were coming up through the system. How do they project? Like, if you, Are they future threes? Is the hope that they can eventually lead a staff? How do you see their projection long term? I don't think they're projecting any higher than a three. I mean, there was a long time where they projected Bryce Miller to be more of a reliever because of his build, and they didn't know if he could carry velocity through a season. You know, even last year, when he hit about 90 pitches or 85 pitches, we saw the fastball dip a couple ticks in miles per hour. Um, You know, Wu Wu doesn't have the secondary pitches maybe that he needs um, to – really kind of get going uh, sorry my headphones uh he doesn't really have that Wu doesn't have the secondary pitches yet he struggled and Miller did a little bit too that's the they they're far from finished products I mean that's thing they could be better and there are guys that really embraced kind of like working at it and adding pitches like they both had a two-seam fastball in the middle of the year but um, 
but they're just not what you call finished products. So I, I don't know. They're they're probably number three starters. Uh, Ryan Divish is our guest for just another minute or two here on 101 ESPN. You can, you can find his work over in the Seattle Times, also on Twitter at his name, at Ryan Divish, D-I-V-I-S-H. He covers the Mariners up in Seattle. Uh, Ryan, do you anticipate the Mariners trying to shed more salary the rest of this offseason, or do you think they've done most of their work in that regard, and now it's about trying to accumulate talent again? Yeah, they said they're done. Um they said they're done shedding salary that they don't need to do anymore. I mean, I think they freed up about 20 million with those trades for this season. And I think another 15 for next season. Um, So, yeah, but I mean, like if they traded Castillo, that's not about a salary shed. It's just about, you know what, they're trying to figure out where they're moving and maybe he's their best chip. You know, and I don't know that that's all likely. I don't, you know, I'm sure if Scott service, you don't want to trade that guy, but um, you know, they, they're in a different territory than they thought they were going to be in with their, um, kind of the, the uncertainty around their RSN. So, you know, and I don't even know how much that deal is. They can afford to, like, their ownership can pony up a little bit. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think they're going to cut any more. It's just I don't know how much more they're going to add either. Um, and just, just because it's, like, we've seen it before, you know, the cost of players goes up the longer you get into free agency because teams get desperate and they're willing to overpay. You know, and there wasn't a lot of great hitters on the market, so they're probably going to have to go the trade route anyways. They've talked to the Rays about a couple of their hitters. I know they've, you know, the Cardinals, they've talked with the Cardinals since last season about some of these guys. So it's not like they don't know what's out there. It's just a matter of kind of pulling the trigger on what they feel is the best deal for them. Ryan, we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, when, when you look at the Mariners and, and this staff, one guy that we don't talk a lot about because he didn't really pitch last year is Robbie Ray. Do they anticipate him being ready early on in the season? And do you think there's any chance they would try to move on from him before the start of the year via trade? Uh, yeah, I mean, if he had been healthy, they might have considered it. Um, but no, he's not going to be ready till I would think, August. I mean, he had Tommy John in April last year, and he also had to have the flexor tendon repaired a little bit, so it was a little bit more invasive. And he's also older, so you don't, you know, it's not coming back quite as quickly as maybe a younger guy does from Tommy John. So I, I don't know. I think they're kind of stuck with him for a while, and they, they, they're fine with that. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, and they'll shop relievers too. That's another thing, and they've got some really good relievers. You know, like I know Tyler O'Neill is out there. They're not going to give up one of their young starters for him, but they might give up a reliever to get him and kind of help the Cardinals out, like move some – you know, alleviate some of the situations they're dealing with, but they're not going to give up a starter for him, I don't think. Call it in. Call it in. We can go ahead and get that done right now, Ryan. Appreciate you hopping on with us today, uh, giving us a little bit of perspective on what the plans are with that rotation out there in Seattle. All the best, man. I know it's been a busy offseason for you guys up there, and uh, hopefully this uh, this allows you guys a little bit more certainty with what you're going to see moving forward. Appreciate the time, man. Yeah, I think we're all just waiting for Otani to figure out so we can move on with our lives man i i am totally with you in that regard hopefully we get something by the end of the day thanks so much ryan all right see you you got it that's ryan divish mariners beat writer for the seattle times joining us here on 101 espn all right um oh my guy logan gilbert i think they're gonna move one of these starters i have more optimism about a trade with seattle today than i have at any point in months they feel like they're in a roster crunch right now um, Alex, 
I left that feeling a lot different. Yeah, but I also feel like the, you're going to have to with pay that, half. With that conversation, what do you well, mean? Well, not that they're, not that they're not going to move starters, but that the Cardinals are going to go get one of them. Like if we're oh. talking Gorman for a guy that can go to the top of the rotation, yeah, the Cardinals are out. And Brian Wu doesn't sound like the guy that gets you no, excited. Well, Logan yeah, Gilbert I, does. I know, but well, they're for... not going to part with Gorman for him. Why not? I think you're because crazy not to. Because Cardinals love Nolan Gorman. Well, I think you're crazy not to. I mean, Logan Gilbert, if we've learned anything this offseason about what the Cardinals value in starting pitchers, dudes that allow start. me to show you Logan Gilbert, who has started over the last three seasons uh, 24 games, because he was called up that year, 32 games and 32 games. His innings pitched by year, 120, 185, 191. If you want to look at his walks by year, 28, 49, 36. My dude does not walk batters. He is one of the most efficient pitchers in the sport. He's the epitome of what your offseason has already been. You signed three good. guys, like, but you get this good. one. I just, like, and he's young, cost-controlled. He's 6'6", 215 pounds. He's got everything that the Cardinals typically look for in a front-end starter. If this guy were to join the Cardinals rotation. Absolutely. So, for all of those reasons, if Logan Gilbert was made available and the asking price was like Brandon Donovan or Nolan Gorman, and then you build out the – uh, the trade from there, I, I see why the Cardinals would do it. Again, I just wouldn't want to trade Nolan Gorman. That is my firm stance on this. But for Logan Gilbert, that yeah. that would be the one guy, and I've just always been of the opinion they won't make that move. Maybe the, maybe the Mariners feel like they have to yeah, in like, order to really round out what their team is going to be. I would not trade Nolan Gorman for Dylan Cease. I would not trade Nolan Gorman for Tyler Glass now. The one guy out of the very few guys that I would – is a Logan Gilbert if they dangled him in front of me. And four years of control, top of your rotation, a one-two punch of he and Sonny Gray, and you get your innings that you've talked a lot about. I love Nolan Gorman. I know you don't want to lose that left-handed pop, but, man, those types of pitchers aren't available very often. And when you – the team that capitalizes on Logan Gilbert is not going to be looking back saying probably shouldn't have done this move. I, I just can't see the Cardinals, if Gorman is where they are at, on where they want that package to start, I don't see the Cardinals pulling the move. Because to your point of Logan Gilbert's not a guy a lot of teams have, the Cardinals can counter that and say there's not a lot of people that have a Nolan Gorman-esque bat that can hit 40 home runs from the left side. And position decided, players age better than pitchers. Out of curiosity, what if they traded Nolan Gorman and then signed Jock Peterson? I mean, I wouldn't bring in Jock, but I... What if they trade Nolan Gorman to get the pitching that they need at the front end of the rotation and then trade Alec Burleson to add another big-time reliever and then go out and sign Jock Peterson? I mean, I think you're better off pitching-wise. I don't think you are offensively. I don't think you're better, but how much... Does your pitching go up and away that your offense... Like, if you're doing the sliding scale, right, offense has to go up as the def as the as the or you, pitching you, goes up as the you've the tried to win down. games these past couple of years solely based off of offense and it hasn't worked I, I just think that if if you end up going that route and you are able to stabilize the offense where maybe now instead of being the sixth best offense next year you're 11th but instead of being the 25th best rotation next year Fifth. you're 11th does that make you better than having a really good offense but a well below average pitching and not staff. just this year for the next four years see I so like I think pitching wise you're better offensively though I would have major questions about your power still because like sure Jack comes in and helps but he probably replaces Burleson's power and not Gorman's like who's replacing Gorman's on top of the fact of the matter that by the way Goldschmidt's slide is probably coming and he's slugged less last year on top of Arnado's slide is potentially coming like there's a to me there's a 
big downside in terms of there's a massive start of question mark of, okay, what happens to their power? Because as much as I love, like, swing and miss and you need pitching, 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 you got to have slugging. You have to slug your way through the playoffs. what happens to their power when he disappears for a month? Who? The Gorman, because he's disappeared for months at time in the season. I know, but even when he has disappeared, even though he has – but, like, uh, unlike a bat – I like sure Gorman has disappeared for a month, but like I think he can kind of lower the cold, like lessen the cold streaks as he starts but he's to mature. A bus kind of guy, he's not a guy that's going to get. But on you base need a guy you. like that. You he's need not a guy with you slug. defensively. And for all this talk about Logan Gilbert, guys, he could break tomorrow and be done and never be back to being the same thing. I, I normally could too, would though. I, I normally would say that's why I would build around the position player. And again, my firm stance is don't trade Gorman for all of the reasons that T Bone is mentioning here. But just if I'm going to play devil's advocate on Gorman he could easily break tomorrow too that that back might be a ticking time bomb we hope not I I don't think it's going to be but we just never know back issues are something that I am always a little bit you just are always searching for these types of pitchers and when they're available and especially a team that has not been able to develop pitchers at this ilk if they're available for a piece that yeah it sucks to give away but I've developed a very good core of offensive players for this roster I would much rather have... aging core, by the way. Sure, but you've got Jordan Walker. You've got Lars Nupar. You've got Mason Mason Wynn. You've got Victor Scott that people are excited about. I know none of them provide the 40 home run power that Nolan Gorman does, but also remember that aging core, if they age out and don't perform, well, $30 million of that comes off the books with, with Paul Goldschmidt, and I can allocate those funds to another position if I need more power. Whereas I'm always going to be searching for that guy that's better than Sonny Gray, and you can't keep kicking this can down the road and saying, well, sooner or later we'll develop him. You don't need to when the guy's already developed and available to you. Nolan Gorman, Thomas the JC, Dylan Carlson for Logan Gilbert. How do you feel if that's the trade? I mean, I would want to keep Gorman out of it, so I don't know if I would do it. But you're not getting him without. I know. So let's, let, I, let's I don't say think I would do the it. The Mariners call and say, listen, we're willing to talk about Logan Gilbert, but don't even discuss this with us if you're not willing to include Nolan Gorman. You would say, okay, then I'm going to have conversations with other teams. Yeah. I, I would go explore the cease route and see if you can get it done without Gorman involved in him. I would go and I would still explore the D- Tyler Glass now one. As good as Gilbert is, I just don't want to part with Nolan Gorman. To me, he is the second. Only two guys are untouchable on this roster for me. He's number two, just behind Jordan Walker. Alex, if they told you, hey, it's got to be Gorman, we are targeting Sejaci, and we need an outfielder, therefore we would like to acquire Dylan Carlson. We're not taking Tyler O'Neill because they had Tyler O'Neill. I don't think they're going to take him back. But let's say Nolan Gorman, Thomas Sejaci, Dylan Carlson for Logan Gilbert. Your response as Absolutely. the Cardinals general manager is what? Absolutely. Let's do it because I, I, you've tried to win – with offense over these last few years, Nolan Gorman's been a part of that, and it hasn't worked. I, I think it's time to get another pitcher that makes your 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 team scary good. And in that scenario you've presented, you didn't give up these top pitching prospects that you have. And if one or both of those guys click like you hope, and you've got this plethora of pitching in place, well, then you can find a way to trade for another bat if you need. I'd do it. It scares the hell out of me of do I have enough what T-Bone's talking about, left-handed power. Because once you get into the playoffs, you need that man. You Every team that wins in the playoffs wins with left-handed power. But if it gets to the time where, like, hey, somebody else is traded for Tyler Glass now, and frankly for myself, I'm not all that interested in Shane Bieber, given what the Cardinals have already acquired this offseason. 
and I'm looking at what else is out there and my best opportunity to get a young cost controlled starter for the long term in my rotation. And it's got to be you're either doing this or you're not upgrading the rotation going into 2024. And I know that's a bit of a false choice, but let's assume that's the option. I probably say yes. I probably do it. Um, even though, again, I I would do everything I can, like T-Bone said, to avoid including Nolan Gorman. I would try to go, hey, what about Brendan Donovan instead? What about involving some of these other options? Let's see if we can work another package out. Uh, if they just flat out said, no, we have to include Nolan Gorman or we can't talk, I would probably eventually talk myself into how it works for the Cardinals in 2024 and beyond. Coming up next, one's got to go here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is PK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Four three nine 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 six four six is the air comfort service X line four one's got to go. You give us four scenarios, we'll tell you which one's got to go here on one hundred and one ESPN. We'll get to our weekend look ahead for the NFL slate in just a little bit, but let's start with this one's got to go Christmas song edition. This is T Bone's favorite thing: Jingle Bells, Winter Wonderland, Frosty the Snowman, or Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Which one's got to go, T Bone? We'll start with you because I know this is your favorite time of the year for <laughs> this music. This is my favorite time of the year. I love the Christmas tree they got up here at the Centene Community Ice Center. Um, oh, man, I think I'm going to go with Frosty the Snowman. I'm just not a big fan of that song. Rudolph's okay. I like Winter Wonderland and Jingle Bells. I would have to say I'm getting rid of Frosty the Snowman. Yeah, mine's Winter Wonderland. I hate that stupid song. Every time really? it starts off, yeah, it's awful. It's so annoying. I'm Frosty and Rudolph gotta stay, and this is the dad card in me because it's so adorable listening to my two-year-old sing both of them. Always been a big fan of Jingle Bells, but Winter Wonderland, yeah, it's terrible. Jingle Bell Rock is better than Jingle Bells. That's though. true. Did you and say Jingle? Or no, it was Rocket Around the Christmas Tree overtook Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas Is You as the top 100 Billboard no. for Christmas song. Yeah, I read that the other day. No, I don't. I believe think it, it was Rocket Around well, the then Christmas that's a lie. Tree. That it's fake news. No, it wasn't. I don't believe it. <laughs> if there's anybody that would fall for that, it would be BK. And apparently me. Uh, all right, one's got to go. Trade edition. Are you trading Gorman, Goldie, Arenado, or Walker? Which there one's got to go? Rocking around the Christmas tree. First holiday song to reach number one on the Hot 100 above Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is that's You. We got to be better, America. We got to be better. No, are you kidding no, that's me? That's a great song. That's so much better than Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas. No. Yeah. Mariah yeah. Carey's yeah. All I'm I Want for Christmas. The opening drive was talking about it, saying it's a great song. And I said, hell no. That is an annoying song. All I Want for Christmas? Yes. Yeah. The first time you hear it in the season, it's like, yeah, it's I got good. the good vibes. But then it's like, nups, bleep this. Um, annoying. I don't think I can do the rest of the show with you. Are you being serious or are you just doing I'm this for a bit? Absol- no, I'm, there's no bit here. It's fu- I love it, the song the first time I hear it, it in the season, but then afterwards, it's so stupid. It, it's a, it's it's good, but like I don't want to hear it a lot. You can't play it every four songs. Well, then this is on you for listening to the radio. You should yeah. be listening to 101 ESPN. Well, I do listen to 101 ESPN, but in the, Exclusively. Evening, in the evening, I listen to my Christmas music. You shouldn't do that. Three one four three nine 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 six four six is the air cover service X line for one's gotta go. One's gotta go. Apple cider, eggnog, hot chocolate, or pumpkin spice. Eggnog. 
never had eggnog. Eggnog is disgusting. No interest in Do eggnog. Do people actually like eggnog, or is yeah. this just one of those things like Thanksgiving food like where egg- people actually just pretend? I feel like, like eggnog is just an excuse for people at Christmas to get drunk. We're, like, hey, just you can just whiskey, drink, man. Yeah, you like, can it's just, okay. Or pour it in your hot chocolate. Who, sure. who knows? Yeah. I, I'm with you guys. Get rid of the eggnog. I like. I've had it before, and like, I've had some that's fine, but like, it's just, it's just a weird color, weird texture. I'm out. I don't want the eggnog. Uh, one's got to go. Bradford's silky voice during the updates. Tanner's breaking news. Alex's yeehaw or BK singing. I'm getting pulled Clearly into this. BK singing. Yeah. It, well, it's, a, it's okay, Bradford, to say BK singing. Yeah, he, just say it. Just say BK singing. He's Bradford. Definitely the worst of the bunch in terms yeah, of the I mean, whatever our band's called. E- T and A. There's no That's B right. in it. There's T and A. How do you not remember. know what our na- our band is called? Oh well, boy. There's laughing going on in this brain up here. What you was T Bones again? My breaking news sounder. We need that. Like That's we wouldn't true. have a show without it. And I can't get rid of Bradford Silky. You know what? I'll be. I'll. I'll get rid of my yeehaw because it no, hurts my pretty, damn voice. Oh well, that's fair. But it's pretty I'll good. I'll get rid of the yeehaw. You know? I like BK singing. Thank you. No, you don't. Free That's you. No, mine. Uh, Is it? Yeah. By the way, we completely no. skipped the uh, the trade one. Yeah, you were. You moved on. You uh, got upset about. Oh, oh sorry, Brian that you Carey. Did, yeah. Well, it was a good take. Alex took over, and he, he didn't come back to it. I'm going to blame him for not being a good driver, as I am driving. Um, Backseat driver, am I Walker, right? Walker. Walker to yeah. T-Bone's infamous moment on you the show. You don't trade Jordan Walker! Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> I'm right, though, and you know it. Yeah, yes, no, yeah. You're right. You don't, you don't do trade it. him. You give him a contract extension. That's what you do. Uh, coming up next. Not what you do. You don't give young guys contracts. I would Jordan Walker because he's Walker. the next best thing. He only likes guys with the last name Walker. Jordan Walker, Christian Walker, uh, Walker, Nathan Texas Walker, Ranger. Nathan Walker. I'd love Nathan Walker. I'd give him an eight-year Walker. deal. What? <laughs> it got real quiet all of a sudden. What you do over there? We can look ahead coming up next here on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're right back to the Fast Lane Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, let's get to our NFL weekend look ahead. We're looking ahead to the Sunday slate in the NFL. There's not a lot of great games, but there are a few that are at least compelling. Alex, if you could sit in front of your television on Sunday, and you could only watch one game, which one are you selecting? Man, if only I could have carried over the Thursday game to Sunday because that would have been it. Patriots versus Steelers. What did you guys watch instead last night? You guys watch any uh, sports? Cause I, I almost avoided com- that game like the plague. I almost completed Blacklist. Oh, there you go. I'm uh, a few episodes away thanks to that uh, Patriots-Steelers game. We started Bad Doctor on Netflix last Looks night. Looks interesting. A new new uh, miniseries. T-Bone, did you watch anything uh, I watched night? Slow Horses, new season out mm-hmm. on Apple TV, so uh, I watched I'll that. I'll have to watch Fast Horses and see. Is that the prequel or the sequel? I don't know. It's not one yet that uh, I know Mine of. would be Eagles-Cowboys. Pretty easy there. Uh, I, I think that's your... I personally think that's your NFC championship matchup right there. The winner of that is going to go to the Super Bowl. Not in that game because obviously there's more to play. Interesting. Yeah. I, I just go different because I think that is the best game. I would go Chiefs-Bills because anytime Mahomes and Allen are on the same field, even if they don't have great rosters around them or Allen's throwing the ball to the other team, it's always a fun matchup. So I would say that one for me. All right. So those are the two best games. Uh, if I was Packers-Giants. Going to try to find a third that might – at least have something that is uh, important Rams, for the postseason. Rams-Ravens Rams, is big. Uh, Jags-Browns is kind of an important game. Ugh. I 
I don't know. One legged Trevor Lawrence against old man Joe Flacco. Yeah, I, I mean, for seeding purposes, what? if nothing else, it's legitimately what? important. Oh, wait, yeah. The Jaguars are 8 and 4, and if they lose this game, they're going to have the same record potentially at the end of the week as the Indianapolis Colts and the Houston Texans in their division. Uh, this is a huge one for them, and if Trevor Lawrence is not able to play, I, I think they're probably going to lose against the Browns, especially if the Browns go back to Joe Flacco, who quietly looked pretty good last week. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would say that's the other one that I would watch, but, I mean, those two games, Chiefs-Bills and the Cowboys-Eagles, are a clear and definitive top two on this slate. Right. Thanks a lot for the Seahawks to stink, because that huh. should have been a fun game. Everybody watch Ravens-Rams. It's better than the game that BK just mentioned. If <laughs> you were going to pick an upset, has to be an upset of at least three points that it is the underdog going into this weekend, who would you select? I'll give you mine first if you guys don't mind, since I went last on the last one and there was no good game left. Um I think I would probably pick the Panthers as the upset pick going into this weekend. The Saints do nothing for me, man. They are boring. Their defense is hurt right now. I'll go with the Panthers to get their second win of the season this weekend against the Saints. Alex? Uh, mine would be the uh, the Bears. Uh, I think it's at three points, if that's okay with sure, your criteria. Yeah. But I, I, I didn't think – Did you take the Lions as your one of the games I did, this week? but okay. I can honestly see it blow up in my – I think didn't all of us take the Lions yeah. in that yeah. one? So it's going to blow up in all of us. But I could see a, a bye week for Justin Fields. They struggled with the Bears if it wasn't for Chicago just laying an egg at the end of that game. And you're in Chicago with it being cold. So I could see the Bears winning that one. I like your Panthers one because that's the one that I thought of was because I just don't trust the Saints at all. To go yeah. different from you guys, I mean, I could see the Bears, but I – I hate to sound like the guy that's a homer, but I could see the Rams going on the road and beating Baltimore. Offensively, they're better now, now that everybody's healthy. Now, Pook is dealing with an injury, but uh, they're playing good football right now. I could see I it. I could see the Texans doing it, too, without Tank Dell. Maybe. Aren't yeah. they favored, though? You're talking about the other side. You think the Jets yeah. could beat them? Yeah. Oh, I, I see what you're saying. I, that was the other one that I had written down as a potential uh, selection here. But I think that's less mind. than three points. Uh, most to gain. It's three and a half in that one for the Jets as oh, the wow. underdog. Most to gain going into this weekend. I'm going to take the Cowboys. If they beat the Eagles, I know they're a favorite at home, but I think there's a lot of people that are skeptical of the Cowboys actually beating a good team this year. If they beat the Eagles at home, we're going to have to start taking them seriously as a Super Bowl contender. I think at that point it will be a 49ers-Cowboys-Eagles ranking in the NFC for me in that order. I'll go with the Cowboys with the most game. Mine's the Bills. I think if you're the Bills and you beat Kansas City after playing a close game with the Eagles, the rest of the schedule looks a little bit more appealing to you. I know the Cowboys suck, but you've got the Chargers and then the Dolphins. I think the Bills could make some noise. I, I like that one. That was what I had was Bills because I think a win, you're back to above 700. You look at the teams above them, it's everybody missing a quarterback, so they've got a chance there. On the other side, most to lose. I actually am going with the Bills. If they lose this game, I think it's all over. This era of Bills football will come to an end. Alex, your team is who? I think mine would be the Jaguars. If they lose that one and the Texans, pull off a victory with the Lawrence injury, I, I think they're 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 donezo. T-Bone? I would probably say the Eagles. They lose. It's back-to-back -back losses against legitimate contenders. They start to slip into that second tier in the NFC for me. Lots of football, a couple of Blues games. You'll hear all of that coverage right here on 101 ESPN, your home of the St. Louis Blues. If you missed anything from the show today, the show this week, you can find it all. 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. For Alex and T-Bone, I'm BK. I'll be off on Monday. The guys will have you covered from 11 to 2. We'll talk to you guys then here on 101 ESPN. I like where this is going. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.